Atlas Butler is built to keep you comfortable, and our plumbing services are no exception. You can rely on Atlas Butler for trusted, convenient plumbing and drain service. Our expert plumbers and drain specialists can take care of anything, from a broken water heater to a clogged drain. Call today, get it fixed today. That's our pledge to you. Having a horrendous week? Well, hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good pal, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how are you doing on this fine morning? I'm doing great, Zach. You know, as part of my New Year's resolution, I think I'm going to glow it up and defeat the Fire Lords in my life. Uh, That's my goal for 2021. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know if I got any sadistic antagonists in my life. I mean, I got some people I don't like, but I don't know if they're Fire Lord bad. So that's an interesting New Year's resolution. That's fair. That's fair. I probably shouldn't give these people too much credit. They're probably not Fire Lords in their own right. Uh, You know, uh, I'm doing well. Uh, That's good. You know, we came off of uh, last week and a fantastic podcast with Josh and Kevin. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was amazing. Even in the moment while we were recording, because we have our stream yard and I was looking at it. And I was like, wow, we're at the two hour mark. It feels like we've been talking for 30 minutes. It was so much fun. <laughs> it kind of, it was an interesting dynamic because even though we're the host of this show, it's like they're kind of our podcasting seniors. And like, especially Kevin came in pretty hot. immediately was like having all his opinions and it was good. It was a great show, I thought. And I was very happy with how that turned out. And once again, thanks to both Josh and Kevin for coming on our little show. And yeah. I mean, I felt bad because the movie was so awful. At a certain point, I literally just—I was literally back to it. I just sighed, like depressed into my microphone. I just like sigh. We move on to our point because, oh man, Yin and Yang and the Avatar. Like, oh, what a horrible movie! I just—I wish I had the Men in Black memory stick to wipe out that movie out of my brain. Honestly, that might be the best for uh, both of us for that. Uh, if we could just wipe that from our memory. Uh, I had gone back uh, before podcasting to like see one more thing uh, in the movie. So like it showed up on my Netflix, like continue watching. And I was like, uh, no, I will not be doing that. And you know what, Zach, it's actually been haunting me. This movie's been haunting me throughout this week. Uh, it's been following following me into my real life. Okay, <laughs> you, I feel free to elaborate on that because I'm <laughs> quite interested. So last week, uh, Kevin said, like, the mark of bad writing is when someone says, like, as you know, and then describe something that you know. Uh, I started working with someone at my job um, who starts, like, half of his sentences with, as you know, and then tells me something I know. And I really, like, I'm having flashbacks. I'm like, wait, is M. Night Shyamalan writing my life story? Um it's like Stranger Than Fiction, except instead of Emma Thompson, it's M. Night Shyamalan and you're just Will Ferrell. Exactly. It got even worse when on Thursday we were talking about like uh, different like movies or stuff that we were watching. 
And he was like, oh, yeah, I was just watching The Last Airbender. And I was like, what? Like, why? Uh, apparently, like, uh, he had never seen it before. He's also an Avatar fan. Uh, and so he was like, oh, yeah, like, uh, I was watching it for the first time. And I was like, hey, there's a podcast for you to listen nice. to. Nice. So. I was just about to say, did there you, you recommend him our podcast? But of course, you're already a step ahead. Good. A new of potential course. listener. You're like, yeah, as you know, co-worker. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I if you're here as you know coworker, uh, thank you very much for joining and I'm sorry for making fun of you in the start of the show. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully he enjoys the show. I mean, honestly though, our our last Airbender podcast last week about the movie was a great entry level podcast for like people who don't listen to us to first listen to our thoughts. So, if anything, that's he's got an episode of listener right there with the movie fresh on his mind. Did he talk to yeah. you? Did you like the movie or was he just watching it like no. us? Okay. Uh, yeah, he was watching it like us. Like, it was right. one thing that, uh, I think it was similar to your position, Zach, where, like, he's heard how bad it was. He's a fan of Avatar and had never done it. And he was like, you know what? Now's the time to do it. So he just sat down and, uh, watched it, yeah. I think, uh, last week. Yeah. If it wasn't for this podcast, I never would have watched that piece of shit movie. Part of my language. Well, <laughs> I'll keep the cussing <laughs> on the DL this episode. But, um, yeah. Before we start the episode synopsis, though, we should tell, our fans, uh, from here on out, we're going to be dropping on Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesdays. In the new year, we are switching to Wednesdays. You might have noticed that with the M. Night Shyamalan movie podcast as well. We forgot to announce it there. That's my bad. Incompetent podcasting on my part, but we're doing it now. So going forward, you know we'll be on Wednesday mornings. Yeah, on Wednesdays, we'll wear pink and we'll listen to Aang in there. So, uh, <laughs> add it to the agenda. You know, it's also hump day, so we can go back to those terrible Geico commercials with the camel walking around. I've completely, uh, you unlocked a hidden memory in my mind because <laughs> I had forgotten about those commercials and now you reminded me. Yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, survivor. So instead of survivor, you got Aang in there for the foreseeable there future go. on Wednesdays. There you go. Yeah, we'll probably have to hang in there for a while before we get a uh, new reality TV back. But you know what? Your Wednesdays are getting pretty full. You know, you have to wear pink. You have to watch the Geico commercial. You have to listen to us. Like, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it definitely well, is a lot. Well, is there anything else we should we need to get into before? Uh, well, before we start the episode, man, it's crazy. We're on season two already, and it's like yeah. I almost like just when she came on my screen, and we'll talk about it more. But I almost like got goosebumps a lot. I'm like, wow, we're really in season two. It's because again, <laughs> I mean, I keep saying this, but it just feels like we started our podcast like a week ago, and now we're already starting season two. Like it's still surreal to me, even now. Yeah, I agree. Like, it seems like, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, we were making fun of the game with no rules and talking about the pilot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that genuinely feels like so recently. So, it's kind of shocking. Yeah, it's been months yeah, now. Yeah, and, and now here we are starting season two. And I have to say, this was a great season uh, opener. Yeah. I really enjoyed this episode. I agree. And we were talking around in the pre-show, both the A-side and the B-side story were great and i think that's why season two is incredible because you're so invested in both the story of like team avatar and of course when they get tough so you're invested in the four of them as well as zuko and iroh living their lives as refugees in the earth kingdom both of those stories are so compelling and they start them here and i'm really excited to dig into it yeah, so uh, let's jump in. Uh, just like any story that's good, uh, we start in a dream. And here Aang is running around and we see, uh, we pretty quick, quickly realize that Aang is seeing Aang in the Avatar state. So uh, he first is looking at himself 
uh, in the um, in the first uh, or in, sorry in the third episode where we see him at the Southern Air Temple. Uh, he then starts to uh, like see Monkey Yatsu's skeleton, and then we see him in uh, the Avatar state attack Aang in the dream. Uh, this was like a bit of a, an abrupt start. Uh, Zach, were you ready for this? No, uh, when you first I watched like, this? you mentioned it kind of, I don't, I think it's kind of cliche to start, um, episodes off with dreams. I don't know. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a fan of that trope. Don't get me wrong. This episode was incredible, but that, that I didn't love. And you're right. It was an abrupt start. Cause we just see Aang in the avatar state. He's having a nightmare about himself in the avatar state, essentially wreaking havoc and destruction and killing and yeah. doing things that are not normally in Aang nature so I can see why he wakes up here with like a cold sweat and then the next yeah. scene he tells Katara that he was actually scared of himself in a dream I mean that must be a horrible feeling to it's one thing like me dream about wishbone or something stupid like that <laughs> but it's another to like actually see yourself in a dream and be scared of your like essentially your own reflection I mean that must be terrifying yeah. Yeah, and, and like I don't love that they started the episode with this but this dream sequence is pretty good no, so, like, I agree First, we see like, uh, you know, Aang in the Southern Air Temple, uh, where he's like seeing Monkey Yatsu's skeleton. We see like, uh, Katara and Sokka like hiding behind a rock as Aang's like too powerful. And then the blast of, uh, Aang in the Avatar state sends Dream State Aang into the next time that he's in the, uh, Avatar state in the Fire Temple, where then again, Aang, uh, rips open a hole in the floor. And then Aang goes to the next time on the ship, um, in the Avatar state whenever he's in the, uh, begin or he's at the end of season one uh so it's like a pretty cool sequence like how it goes between these uh and i thought they did a pretty good job of like you know at least uh like i'm not a huge fan they started with the dream but i do like that they at least like have this uh like pretty cool sequence to get you into the season like we really see that ang is scared and we like understand like oh he's scared because like it was so powerful and he's out of control yeah it's a great sequence narratively and in terms of the animation because I feel like, and this could be wrong on my part, I'm not 100% sure about this, but season one, I don't know what their budget was like, but it just felt like season two, they got a big budget increase. Like, it must, Avatar must have been a ma- massive hit, and they just had the money, because the animation right off the bat looks so crisp and clean here, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I do think that, like, the, the animation, I think the, like, stuff that they're doing, like, going between scenes in this interesting yes. way is, like, a big upgrade from the past season. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but yeah, honestly, if I was in Aang's position, I'd be, like, terrified of the destruction I could cause. Like, he's going beast mode on these people, and, like, it'd be pretty scary to be on the other side of that. Uh, the one thing I noticed is that in the Avatar state, there's tons of slicing. Uh, <laughs> like, it seems like every time he's doing something, there's, like, a slicing move. Yeah, I wonder if that, because I noticed this as well, even in the finale of season one, I wonder if, like, the fighting style that they model, that, that they model Aang after when he's in the Avatar state, I because that's what they do in Avatar, Kevin mentioned it, how it's always, like, real fighting styles. I wonder if that style just has a lot of, like, karate chops and slicing, apparently, because you're, you're right, it is a constant. I have that in my notes as well. I was confused about yeah. that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's like, uh, you know, the, the style is called Slice Style or something to that effect. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty on-the-nose name. I mean, yeah. So, we get, I mean, we touched on it. Aang tells Katara that he was quite, like, scared of himself. Katara reassures mm-hmm. him that it's okay. Not much else to glean from that. There, I mean, there will be more Aang and Katara talking about this later. And then we cut to Iroh getting a massage. <laughs> what were your... Well, th- I think... Uh, well, first, before we get to this, I think we see Paku giving gifts oh, to the rest no, of you, the you, group. You, you, no, you... 
you are right. My apologies. My notes are out of order. Yes. So Poophead yep. Paku's back, and he actually <laughs> he gives Katara something very useful. I'll get. Listen, I, I'm the biggest Paku hater. I'll give him credit here. There's something we're gonna see as a constant throughout both season two and season three. It's water from the Spirit Oasis that has healing properties, and it's a great gift by Paku. His other two gifts are not great. We'll get into it later. But this to Katara right here, I think, very useful, very handy, and she will definitely make use of it going forward. Yeah, as we'll see like later in the season, the water from the Spirit Oasis is uh, very clutch. So this is a great gift that Paku gives Katara. The other gifts, yeah, I agree, Zach. Like, I'd be a bit disappointed. So Aang gets some waterbending scrolls, which like we did see was important. And, you, you know, in book one, it was like an entire episode over one waterbending scroll. So it's nice to have a few. Um, but it does seem like, you know, having Katara there is like kind of better than any scroll. Exactly. And Paku mentions that himself. So I was going to like, I think the scrolls are kind of useless because you already have a watering master there. It's like, if you're like, let's say you're like a great tennis player and you have like a coach and you have like an instruction manual of like tennis things. Like obviously the coach is going to be more valuable, you know what I mean? Than any manual. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's like it's only useful if you're doing like self study. Like, maybe if you're like, you know, just trying to study up by yourself and no one else is there, then sure, go for the scroll. But I'd take Katara any yeah, day. Yeah, and Aang does but, not uh, seem like a self studier. I could be wrong, but that's not the <laughs> vibe Aang gives off. <laughs> I think you're right there. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Sokka gets way worse of a deal. Sokka gets two pats on the shoulder, uh, and that's about it. Uh, that's that's way more rough than than a bunch of useless scrolls. Yeah. I don't know why they have to give Sokka an L right off the bat here. I don't know why they yeah. could have given him a little gift or something. Even a gag gift that maybe nobody else would enjoy, but he would. <laughs> yeah. Sokka gets nothing and like the face he makes after he receives nothing. You could <laughs> the animators did an excellent job because there was like palpable sadness radiating mm-hmm. off of Sokka there. Yeah, he seems a little bit upset there, but then we learn that they're going to go to an Earth Kingdom base and then go to a Mashu to learn Earthbending with King Bumi. Uh, so that's uh, what we have Team Avatar doing. And then, yeah, we uh, go to uh, Uncle Iroh getting a nice, relaxing massage. <laughs> it seems quite nice. That seems uh, very peaceful. Yeah, it does. It's like, I'm surprised they can even afford a massage parlor like this, to be honest. It looked a little bougie for them. I mean, I know there's, as of now, as of this point in the episode, they're still part of the Fire Nation army and all that, but still, mm-hmm. Iroh says he's like, who knew floating on a piece of driftwood for three weeks with no food or water and sea vultures waiting to pluck out your liver can make you so tense. And yeah, yeah, getting a massage after a harrowing experience like that must have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It looks like he had two different people working on him. Yes. Like he had one person on the right and one person on the left. Like that is the life of luxury. Uh, and I was going to say, you know, Uncle Iroh's complaining about three weeks with uh, being on a piece of driftwood. I think I might need to complain about the 10 months that I've had to spend in quarantine. So <laughs> I think we all deserve a massage after we get out get those vaccines. I think we all deserve uh, the Uncle Ira treatment. I mean, I'd enjoy it, but there's somebody else who might need a massage more than all of us, and that's Zuko. He's like, he's always tense, and he he's here just sulking in the corner <laughs> while Iroh gets his massage. I thought this is so weird, because Zuko's just sitting in the corner with, like, his head down. <laughs> Iroh's getting a massage. It's an odd, like, scene to look at. I don't know. 
Yeah, at least like go in nature, you know, like you're yeah. so close uh, to, you know, like going on a nice walk, but instead he's just sitting there yeah. a little bit brooding, very upset. And I just thought to myself, like, you're not doing yourself any favors here. Like, yeah, you're upset, but you're not, you're not trying to make it better. I, like, you're just sulking. 100% co-sign what you just said, because yeah, he could go on a nice brisk walk through the beautiful like petal blossoms. I think it was all over the yeah. place. And yeah, and then he can also get a massage and that will probably perk him up a little bit, I think. But instead, Zuko's here. He says he wants his father not to think he's worthless. Iroh tells him he's sure, he's sure uh, Ozai doesn't think he's worthless because why would Ozai banish him if he doesn't care? And Iroh immediately regrets saying this <laughs> and it did not come out the way he wanted, sadly. But kind of a backhanded compliment, if anything. Yeah, and this is not the only time this episode where Uncle Iroh says something where, like, the intention is sweet, but it just doesn't come off very well. And, like, you know, a, a little bit later, we'll see, you know, Uncle Iroh trying to comfort Zuko um, and Zuko lashes out at him. I think Uncle Iroh needs to take a step back and realize who he's talking to. Like, this is someone who's bound to get upset. Like, you need to be a little more careful what you're saying. Uh, saying, like, why would your father banish you if he didn't care? Like, that's clearly not going to uh, comfort Zuko at all. Yeah, you're right. But the thing with Iroh is that while he had his own son in the past, He's not, like, a perfect parent in a way. Like, even when he... Or, like, I know he's not technically Zuko's father, but he essentially is in a way. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of overbearing sometimes. Like, when Zuko was leaving off the ship in the North Pole, he's like, make sure you don't do this, make sure you don't do that. So, it's like, they kind of just have that, like, parent-child relationship. And you are correct. It's like, it would make sense for him to take a step back. But regardless, I feel like Zuko is going to lash out no matter what. Zuko's so clouded by his need for his father's approval that, I mean, Iroh's kind of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't here, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, that's fair. It does seem like comforting Zuko is a pretty tall task. It might be even harder than uh, sitting on a piece of driftwood for three weeks. Yeah, because it's hard to comfort someone who doesn't want to be comforted, I always think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I agree with you there. The next thing that we see is we go back to a Fire Nation ship, and unlike uh, the lame villain we got last season in Admiral Zhao, we see Azula, and this is just such a good introduction to her. Uh, we see a bunch of royal guards on either side, and she's walking down, addressing all of these grunts, saying, uh, essentially, like, my brother and uncle are traitors, and they brought shame to us. You probably don't want to attack the royal family, but if you don't, I will attack you. <laughs> and that is just such a good introduction to uh, Azula's character here. She seems, like, so badass in this moment that she just, like, has that confidence to be, like, you know, you probably don't want to attack the royal family, but if you don't, like, you're facing me, and that's way worse. Yeah, it's insane. Like, <laughs> the fact that Azula is just a 14-year-old girl, and she already commands this much respect from her crew, and you can truly... <laughs> you can truly see the fear in her crewmates' eyes. And I have a question for you, Jacob. Jacob, do the tides command this ship? Do they? Uh, you know, I, I honestly thought that the tides could command a ship. Uh, <laughs> like, so here, like, I would not say uh, no to Azula uh, ever. Doesn't matter, like, how illogical it was. But it seems like, you know, tides going in and out means that you can't dock or you'll just, like, crash. Like, Azula just does not care. 
like whatsoever. I would think like if in a low tide, you just like cannot pull up to the dock fast enough because there's just like not water. Like it does seem like the tide should command the ship. Am I wrong? Zach? No, you're a hundred percent right. But I think Azula doesn't care if the ship's cr- if the ship crashes and her whole crew dies <laughs> except her. I genuinely think Azula would not care because what we're what we're referencing is she asked what I think it's, I don't know who it is maybe her helmsman. She asks him. He tells her the t- the low the tide is low and they won't be able to dock. And she asks him, "Do the tides command this ship?" And then he says, "No." <laughs> and she says, "Maybe worry less about the tides instead. Who might who have no." problem with just squashing you into a pulp and instead worry about me, Azula, who's still mulling over destroying you. And I saw that and I was like, damn, like Azula came to play. Holy. And the, the thing with Zhao is like Zhao was not a bad antagonist in season one, but he's just an antagonist we've seen in other media. Whereas, like, he's just he's pretty, like, cookie-cutter, generic, like, prideful, boastful antagonist. Like, meh. We've seen it before. Whereas Azula is an antagonist who's just unlike any I've seen in any other media. Because Avatar's gonna have another live-action adaptation. And I think out of all the characters here, Azula is by far the toughest to cast. Because who would you cast? You would need, like, a, a female who's a teenager who can command that, like respect from every single person and like can have that air of just royalty and almost invincibility surrounding her. I feel like that's an impossible thing to cast. So, but yeah, Azula's yeah. entrance here is just incredible. Oh yeah. Azula's like, uh, like super cool. The way that she, the way that she's introduced in this episode as someone who's like so powerful is, uh, like very, very compelling. Uh, and the way that they, the way that this is written, is it like, they don't say like, oh, you're more powerful than every other firebender. They come up with very clever ways to show you that she really is someone to be reckoned with. Like the amount of, uh, like, I guess just sheer confidence she has in her own abilities to take down all of these like royal guards if they don't, uh, follow her orders or like just the fact that she's telling the captain, like, you know what? We're docking the ship. I don't know anything about like ship work, but you know what? I'm in charge here. So you listen to me like that is a way to introduce a character. And I feel like comparing this to the writing we saw in the M. Night Shyamalan movie really shows why the uh, animated show is so good. Like here, they're, they're showing us how powerful Azula is. Uh, in ways that like they just didn't ever uh, like they never even got close to in the movie. Yeah, they didn't have like the captain saying, "Well, as you know, Azula," <laughs> like, <and> they didn't <laughs> have, like they didn't beat you over the head with it. Because you're right, they like subtly show you how powerful Azula is, and like we can move on from this scene because I could spend like three hours just talking about <laughs> Azula and how great she is. But I just wanted to point out she's not even looking at this captain while she's like chastising. <laughs> She actually has her back turned this whole time. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, like this captain's clearly not worth her time. Like she is so much more important than this captain that uh, even though this is the captain of the ship, like Azula is by far uh, in charge. One uh, one thing that I did want to remark on is like Mm -hmm. we have a bunch of guards and these are like royal guards because they're in like different clothes. Like this reminded me of like most video games where like, you know, you're fighting grunts all throughout the game and then you get to like the final level. So you start fighting grunts that just like have a different skin, but they're the exact same skill level. And we'll see this (laughs) later. Like they do not fight any better than like random people that we've seen in the street. Like these are level one spearmen. 
uh, as well. Like maybe they're dressed fancier, but they're just as easy. No, you know, you're right. You're right. Cause Iroh just gonna pretty handily just destroy all these guys. And you're right. They're, they're these level one spearmen, but with a little cosmetic upgrade here. Exactly. I I just, I just want to make it clear that, yeah, like you said, Zach, this is purely cosmetic. No one should be intimidated by these people. (laughs) These people suck. Uh, I just needed to get that out of the way. uh, we'll get into this later, but like the Earth Kingdom military also sucks. <laughs> so it's like we have this war being waged by like two incompetent militaries. Like Azula might be the only competent figure in the Fire Nation military as a whole. <laughs> and then yeah, in the well, Earth and, Kingdom, and, I can't even. Pardon me. And, and I guess Ozai too, but Ozai just seems like too destructive in a way. Like he's not as calculated as Azula, I'll say. But that, that's yeah. here, not here nor there. But yeah, we'll, we'll cut to Team Avatar here. They're landing in the Earth Kingdom and they're greeted with a hero's entrance that includes fireworks and all the like. Yeah, they really uh, get the red carpet rolled out for them. You know, mm-hmm. they've gone to a few places and gotten some feasts, which like that's cool and all. You know, like I like a feast as much as the next person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here we get a, a welcome. We get like the brave Sokka and mighty Katara. Yeah. Even Appa and Momo get uh, name checked here. And then we see some fireworks go off. Like this is a big deal. Uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I guess what what's happening here is that words of their travels and adventures are spreading throughout the nation so people know now what they've done like them going through all these islands and stuff word has spread that like the avatar is back and he's doing his thing and yeah like they get a absolutely just heroes welcome here and i feel like i was happy to see this like even like like you said appa and momo getting some recognition i feel like when even when they went to the north pole like katara and Sokka didn't really get as much recognition as they should have but now here like you said they get like the mighty katara and brave Sokka. and yeah and then what's his general's name again i forgot his name i have it in my general fong general Fong, correct. The General Fong, he thinks that the that Aang can take on Ozai in his current state without mastering any of the elements, just by using the Avatar state. Now, General Fong's uh, delusion aside, uh, later in the episode, do you think that if Aang was able to induce the Avatar state, he would be able to take on Ozai right here? I. I honestly think there's a good shot. Uh, I do too. I do too. But I I, I think General Fong goes about it incorrectly. But I do think just in terms of what we've seen Aang able to do, even just looking at the season one finale, I do think Aang versus Ozai in the Avatar State, Aang could potentially win. I, I agree with that. Like we see Aang wipe out an entire Fire Nation fleet. Uh, we see him like take down people. We see him like scare a bunch of fire monks. Like when he goes in the avatar state, there is just such great power. And I think if you catch Ozai, uh, like a bit off guard that you are taking him down easily. I think using the avatar state, you can like, you know, go onto their shores and you can like take over some of their land and get an entrance. I honestly think, uh, aside from general Fong having a one track mind and like two dead set on this happening, He's not wrong. I think that he there's some merit here, uh, I, and I, I'm, I'm glad you agree. Yeah, I do. I, I do agree, but I do at the same time. I think like how would you get Ang close enough to Ozai to even get like you know like you'd have to kind of like sneak Ang in and have to be like a one on one thing because you honestly would like need Ang in the Avatar state to like wipe out the army in front of you to even get to Ozai in a way. Yeah, as it currently stands, so it just it's tough. And then General Fong, I don't know, he's. He's this, like, one-episode antagonist we get here. What were your thoughts on General Fong overall, Jacob? 
ultimately like he's just so set on the one uh like on the one thing which is like get ang in the avatar state and then like see where it goes from there that he falls a little bit flat i agree uh, and i think that's why like both like the a side and the b side story are good here but i think for that for general general fond just kind of falls flat for me and i think like the b side story is a little better especially with the introduction of azula because we got general Fong here and he's talking <laughs> he's like yeah i think you take on that and the ozai in your current state and then general Fong like a second later is like okay so it's decided then i'll help you get into the avatar state <laughs> and like nobody decided agent kratari even states this i had the exact same reaction as her. i was like who decided this besides you <laughs> yeah uh, well ang does say like yeah you are right like i would be a good weapon like so a uh, general fong's like oh yeah like you're the ultimate weapon and and ang is like yeah but i don't know how to get in the avatar yes, state exactly. and, and so that's when general fong's like cool then i'll just do that for you like uh, again like very one track mind he does not see the obvious reason uh, of being like Aang maybe doesn't want to do this. Uh, like maybe he's not actually trying to go into the Avatar state like this. To play devil's ad- advocate for a second, just since we both agree that mm-hmm. this was like maybe worthwhile, do you think that uh, like you know Aang's destiny is to master all four elements and then take on the Fire Lord? Like, do you think that by going against his destiny, it would be impossible for him to win? Like, even if he has the raw power, like something might go wrong because he's like shirking the destiny of the Avatar. That's a pretty deep question. Give me a second. Let me think. Yeah, I just think the thing with Avatar is that it's just, at the end of the day, it is a show marketed towards children. So they're going to have like the good guy has the path to the end and then wins. Like that's just how the plot goes. And yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough because on the one hand, I, I like how they do it in the Kiyoshi novels a little different. And they talk about this with Karuk actually, how Karuk, I really like his backstory because he does not, destiny does not work out in his favor. His destiny is ultimately a sad, destructive one. So, with Aang here, I mean, it would have been an interesting plot point had Aang like, agreed to this and it became like an arc going forward where he's like, okay, I'm, I'll practice mastering the elements, but I'm just going to try to get into the Avatar state as soon as possible. Because in Season 3, when he ultimately does beat Ozai, what ends up happening is he gets hit in the back, gets into the Avatar state, gets a deuce, and then he just wins. And I think like yeah. Like Aang on any given day in the Avatar state could defeat Ozai one-on-one, but getting to that exact scenario is easier said than done. So, I don't know if I answered your question 100%, but those are just like my overall thoughts on it. What do you think? No, yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, Karuk, by the way, is the waterbender before Kiyoshi. Some people probably... Uh, oh, don't yes, know you're right. Karuk yeah. was the waterbending avatar before Kiyoshi. My apologies yeah. to anyone who didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, like, I think you're right. Uh, ultimately, like, it is going to take the Avatar state in order to beat Ozai. Like, he's not going to be able to beat him without it. Uh, and so it does seem like maybe going this path is, like, a little bit more efficient. And I think that General Fong's right. Like, General Fong uh, takes them over uh, the, like, window, and they see all of the soldiers that are coming back from fighting uh, who are all limping. And he says, like, these are the lucky ones, implying, like, so many of the other people are dying. And he says, like, you know, the Fire Nation's taking lives every day. And and Fong's right. Like, there are people that are dying while Aang is learning stuff. And there are people while di- that are dying while Aang jet sets around the world and, like, plays as adventures. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And, and this episode, it was really different from what we've been watching, I feel like, because this episode is very serious in tone. I thought throughout, yeah, even yeah, with the, like, I think Iroh has some comic relief, but besides that, it's just a very, just not, it's not necessarily a dark episode, but you're right. Cause 
we see Aang on these like peng- penguin sliding and stuff. While sadly, this is the sobering reality that General Fong is showing us that like while Aang's having all this fun, people are just dying all over the place. So it's quite it's quite depressing to be honest. I mean, that's why like so General Fong like honestly we like he's a, just not the best like he's too one track here, but. Honestly, yeah, the, their best path to victory is like Aang to be able to get into the Avatar state at any point. The thing is, though, like Aang's gonna have to have like swaths of ex- like years of experience to be able to like go into the Avatar state when he needs to. Like, he's not gonna be able to gain that ability as a twelve-year-old child. Whereas, at least uh, as a kid, yeah. he can learn all the bending elements. That's a thing. He- yeah, I, I agree. And like that path probably is the better path forward. It's ultimately the path that Aang takes. But yes. I think that General Fong, like who sees all of the destruction, like firsthand, like, you know, he seems like he's in the base that's like really close to the Fire Nation. So the infirmary that is, uh, that he runs, like probably has like the soldiers who are, you know, most needing help. And like he's seeing this every day. So I actually understand, uh, like why, why General Fong's coming from where he is. I think maybe spelling it out a bit more to give him some like, backstory or like show like why he cares so much might be better for his character because ultimately he just like by the end of the episode he just seems like crazy and like willing to do anything yes exactly and i think like his plan you you, i don't even have an issue with really like i don't have an or at least i don't have an issue with his like general idea of like okay ang needs to be in the avatar state for us to win but his execution there is horrible and we'll get into it later in the episode because i do have quite i have a lot of notes on that so so we cut then here we cut back to Azula, correct me if I'm wrong. We cut back to Azula. She's practicing lightning bending on her ship in front of these like two old looking women. They can they kind of remind me of like the Furies from Greek mythology almost. Yes. That's the vibe I got from these women. I don't know if you felt yes. similarly. Uh, I actually think that's a great comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like sort of the the Furies that are just like sitting there remarking on the events of the day, not really doing much other than sitting there, but. Uh, yeah, so I, I believe these characters are called Lo and Lee, and they're uh, Azula's uh, like firebending instructors. So they just kind of like give her tips and tricks, I guess, as she's like learning how to firebend. Which is weird because I remember Lo and Lee. Like I, I forgot their names, but I, I remember them as characters. And I know they're her firebending instructors, but they just look like so like old and helpless. I'm like, were Lo and Lee just <laughs> as powerful as Azula when they were kids? I mean, I've seen some of the senior citizens in Avatar maintain their prowess through old age, but we never throughout the series, correct me wrong, we never really see Lo and Lee do anything. So I don't know. It's like they're so critical of Azula, and yet. I I feel like Azula could just break both of them in half if she wanted to. Oh, no, definitely she could. Uh, I'm actually pretty sure that Lom and Lee can't firebend at all. I really? think they're just like uh, instructors. They're like, oh, interesting. Yeah, they're like, uh, they're good instructors, but I don't think they could ever do it themselves. Um, wow. I, like, I didn't know they had instructors, in, instructors that can't, that can't firebend. I did not know that. Yeah, I, I mean, mainly they just like give her advice. So, like, we, what we see is we see Azula, like, you know, shoot lightning. Uh, out of her hands, which is like very impressive. Uh, but then we hear Lo and Lee say almost perfect one hair out of place. So it doesn't even seem like they're giving instruction like on the actual fire bending or lightning bending as it were. Like maybe they're just giving like cosmetic instruction. It seems like the Fire Nation's really focused on cosmetics <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And, um, 
Azula doesn't. She doesn't lash out at them like she did her underlings. She tells herself, like, almost isn't good enough. And she, like, you can see the hair is dangling in front of her face, and you can see her eyes, like, hone in on that single hair that's out of place. And while we just met Azula, we can already tell she's at the very least unhinged and even there's some, like, honestly, she's quite psychotic, in my opinion. And there's another moment with Iroh later in the episode that I want to get into. But, yeah, basically the vibe you get from Azula's crazy. You can even sense that, right, as early as this moment. Azula is quite insane. And, like, she does a good job holding all of that in and, like, keeping her more erratic personality traits at bay throughout the series, but she has that in her. Like, she's absolutely insane. Yeah, and I actually think that this is a great way to introduce Azula's character. Like, she holds herself to such a high standard that even, like, the hair out of place is so much that she tries again. Like, she's clearly getting the lightning, right? Like, she's firing the lightning in a bolt. Like, great job. Uh, but it does seem like she's holding herself to such a high standard that even like this incredible feat of power is not enough until it is like all perfect down to the very last detail. And like so much is communicated by this one little scene. And I think that this is like fantastic writing uh, from the writers here. Yeah, it's great. And they it's such a small scene too, yet it tells you so much. And I think one yeah. quality about Azula that I've always enjoyed is like, I, and I know a lot of our listeners didn't do not know what an enneagram is necessarily, but basically, I'll really yada yada it. It's a personality, like it's like a Myers Briggs thing, and there's like a one through eight, and then there's the, and then the there's one that's a three, and the threes are the people who just really want to win. They'll do anything in their power to just be successful and want to win. And like I remember Chappelle, he was on with Rob, and he's talking about how like Michael Jordan was the biggest example of this. He was like, so then I took it personal. And I feel like Azula just really has like all these traits of the threes. She's like one of these people, she, no matter what, she wants to be successful. She wants to just see the Fire Nation win and she'll do anything in her power to make that reality a thing. And that's what that's what I've always enjoyed about Azula as a character, how she's like got that by any means necessary quality about her. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, interesting bringing the Enneagram into it. I don't know a ton about the Enneagram myself. I'm pretty sure I'm an eight, mm-hmm. uh, but that's about all I know. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that like that characteristic, like that Michael Jordan taking it personally, like yeah. doing whatever it takes to get the win is uh, like very reminiscent of Azula. So I, I like that uh, call there. Yeah. Um, and then in this next scene, so it's late at night and Aang goes to the general and he tells him he wants to fight the lot fire Lord in the avatar state and that he actually agrees with the general and is going to go along with him. And he relays, he relays that to Katara and Sokka. Sokka agrees with the general. He's like, yeah, go for it. But Katara is adamant that Aang should train to fight Ozai the right way. And this is an, inter- this is an interesting dynamic between Sokka, Katara and Aang. Sokka's like, yeah, we need to do it. We got to do whatever we can to fight the fire Lord. But Katara, even with the war looming at large, she still has Aang's best interest at heart. Yeah, I think Katara here is like very, uh, very measured. Like she says, like there's a right way to do this. Like we're not just going to do this anyway. Mm-hmm. Like we need to do it the correct way. Uh, you know, like fulfilling the destiny and all that. Uh, and she says, like, uh, like she gets really emotional here. And she says, if you two meatheads want to throw everything away we've worked for, fine. Go ahead and glow it up. 
so it seems like here, like she's really invested in Aang, making sure that Aang uh, is like going to grow like he needs to. And uh, she doesn't want, as Sokka suggests, to just glow it up and stop that fire lord. Yeah, and I feel like you were saying, this is a very well-written episode because it's not like some of the episodes in season one where like, let's say like, I don't want to use Bottle the Water Trap as an apple again, but there were some other, <laughs> there were some episodes in season one where you're like, okay, Aang is completely in the wrong here. Or like the Jet episode where Sokka is the only one who's like in the right and like Katara and Aang are just, you, you can't really like justify what they're doing with Jet there. Whereas here, you can see it from both Aang and Katara's perspective. You can see like, okay, Katara just does not want to see Aang just anguished while he's in the Avatar state while Aang has all this pressure on him and he knows while Katara wants the best for him, he has to do whatever he can to take down Ozai. So, I really thought like this episode, you even Sokka later on in the episode I feel like you could understand it from like all angles in a way. It's like no one is like completely in the wrong or right here. Everyone has their own valid opinion of what they should do going forward. So, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think it's helpful when there are, like, multiple uh, points of view that all make sense. Like, yes. I know we harp on this a lot about Bato of the Water Tribe. Like, Aang's point of view just doesn't make sense. So, yes. like, it That's doesn't, like, poorly like, written, I thought. Whereas, compared to yeah. this, I think this has great writing. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Uh, this episode is written by four different people. At least mm-hmm. four different people got writing credits on this, which is the, the second most of all uh, Avatar episodes, only beaten by uh, Tales from Bossing Say, which each person writes like their own vignette. So uh, here, like it, it, like I think part of the writing might have been like so many people having this input, and I feel like there's a that they got a lot out of this episode. Yeah, they did, and Avatar has a really good writing team. I think it's Aaron E. Haas. And his wife actually wrote about a, a, a couple of episodes yeah, too. He, yeah, he's like the head writer on, and he does an incredible job. I think he went on to create the Dragon Prince, and like I know he has a couple of Avatar Easter eggs in there as well. I've never seen it, so don't think we're going to podcast about that in the future. But I know he goes on to do that. Yeah, the writing in Avatar, especially like going forward here, like. The writing is impeccable, honestly, throughout season two and season three. And that's interesting that this episode has so many writing credits. I did not know that. So that's good to know. That's, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. I, th- I think it's like just a little interesting fact here. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So the next thing that we see is uh, Aang is, you know, on this journey to try to understand how to get into the Avatar state. And they have a bunch of different ways uh, to get him into the Avatar state. The first is uh, the soldier, like there's this person sitting there. He pours a cup of tea. He says that this tea is, I believe he says, chi enhancing uh, and that it will improve the strength and energy tenfold. Uh, Zach, what were the odds that you thought this was going to work? Oh, well, even on a first watch, because obviously we know the result now Uh, on this rewatch, it was like 0.00% chance this was going (laughs) to work. Because, like, they give Aang this drink that supposedly may induce the Avatar state, but instead it's just, like, Aang's just bouncing off the walls in his air scooter, like the over-caffeinated squirrel and over the hedge, I thought. Yeah, I think instead of uh, getting him in the Avatar state, it got him into a, a sugar uh, sugar high more more than anything else. Uh, we see Aang here just like zipping around on his air scooter as he's like talking in a sped up speed, uh, like in a high pitched voice. 
And uh, Sokka remarks here that he could talk the Fire Lord to death right as Aang just hits himself right into a pillar and just gets totally demolished. Yeah, that looked pretty painful. That was the one thing I got from this seat. I was like, damn, Aang wipes out pretty hard here. Because Aang is like pretty like graceful with his movements overall, which makes sense. He's an airbender. (laughs) The first time you like actually see him have like a bad wipeout. And then we're going to, now they have this other method. And like, like I said earlier, we talked about the Fire Nation having incompetent members of like their military. But General Fong and his cronies may be even worse worse like how did this old man even get a job in the earth kingdom so i'll 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 lay out this seed so this old man he dresses ang in a garment from each of the four nations and then he mixes up water earth air and fire in a bowl which oh i was already out on this right here it's like how would this possibly work before chucking this like muddy like concoction at ang and then he's like hey so, do you feel anything? And it's like, even this old man, as soon as he asked that, I was like, he does, he himself doesn't even have confidence in his <laughs> own methods. Between him and Ann Wu, we got a lot of snake oil salespeople in Avatar. Right. Yeah, this this also had a very low chance of working here. Like, I think that, you know, wearing the ceremonial stuff from all four elements, like, okay, like, I was kind of seeing that, but then just, like, pouring mud on Aang, like, that's not going to do much. Uh, I, yeah, this again, like very low chance of working. In between these two scenes, we see uh, Sokka try to shock Aang into the Avatar scene. Oh, yes, you're right. Um, Aang's like, oh yeah, I love surprises. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm totally down. So uh, he covers his eyes and then uh, whenever Aang's eyes are uncovered, Sokka is replaced or his head is replaced by Momo. I guess Momo's just sitting on top of him. Uh, and honestly, this is scary. Yeah, uh, this is like, a good jump scare, I thought. Because even on this rewatch, they got me and I, I shouldn't have skipped ahead I feel bad but they actually got me with this because I completely forgot I was like oh shit he pops up with Momo's head like the, and Momo's not a particularly scary looking pet but just for some reason that little scary actually got got me talk, caught me off guard I'll give him credit yeah I, I agree like I was a bit surprised here I think honestly if uh, the animators would have taken Appa from the M. Night Shyamalan movie and then put him in place of Sokka's head that he would have gone in the Avatar state like that would have been so <laughs> shocking uh that i would have had another nightmare about it uh again yeah, it's funny you bring up Mo- because oppa in the in, in the movie was what really like terrified me even on that rewatch it's like you show me that lot that cgi oppa and i'm just going into the avatar state myself uncle zach's gonna have his eyes glowing <laughs> and be floating out the window on this in this cold rainy vancouver morning yeah, exactly. Oh, it's rainy. That's good. Uh, you know, we ha- we didn't have our normal weather talk at the beginning. <laughs> and I, and I think we can add the weather. I mean, I, I can see a little bit of sun on your end. So, but yeah, I was gonna say uh, overcast in Chicago for all those curious about the Sunday morning uh, weather. For all, all zero right, back to the curious about our weather updates. I mean, honestly, don't get me wrong, nobody's complained about that. But I just <laughs> I feel like if I'm listening to a podcast, what I want to hear about the weather. So I always try to be conscious of what the listeners would or would not want to leave. You know what? You make a great point. I think that we should have people write in and tell us uh, pro or anti-weather <laughs> updates so we can, you know, put this one to rest. Sure, but, sure. Uh, yeah, so then the next scene we see uh, after General Fong's just upset that uh, Aang's not in the Avatar state is we go back to Zuko and Uncle Iroh. Uh, Uncle Iroh walks in and he drops some shells onto the table 
and he's like looking at the different ones and he says like, oh, I'll enjoy these keepsakes for years to come. Uh, Zuko says, we don't need any more useless things, which implies that like Uncle Iroh's done this before and found more useless things, which I thought were funny. Uh, but just then, uh, before they get to keep talking about their shells, which is a conversation I would have loved to hear, uh, we see Azula who says hi to both her brother and her uncle. Before we get to Azula here, because this is a great scene, I just I just thought it had a weird start here because Zuko is completely right to like chastise Iroh. You're like, I don't know why Iroh is just like a big child. He's like, ooh, shells, I want it. Put it on back. Like because they're they're like they're kind of refugees, you know. I mean, they're gonna be living through like they gotta be smarter with what they carry. So even though I don't agree with a lot of what Zuko does in this episode here, I was like, yeah, Zuko is correct. Like they do not need these shells at all. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this. You know, like I went to the beach uh, when I was like nine or ten, and I found a bunch of shells, and I was super excited, and I laid them all out in my room uh, at the hotel that we were staying at, and I was like super happy. And then I was told that I was going to have to like you know carry them and like put them somewhere, and I got rid of like all but one. Like it, it like even when I was nine or ten, uh, I was like ready to discard all the shells. Like I only needed the one that I thought was the coolest, and even then, I'm sure I lost that like after a week. For Uncle. I to think that he's going to hold on to these shells for years when he has to like carry all of them is just absurd. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree completely, but I guess we can yeah. move on to the actual meat of this scene here. So, like, I noticed yeah. this whenever Azula comes on, the music gets like, dis- I think she had, this is like Azula's music in a way. It gets like disturbingly like calm and it's almost like unnerving. It's very like, whenever she comes, the music gets like very tense. Like you're like, ready for something to happen and it never does and i feel like they kind of the animators do this thing along with the music where like azula like crushes a shell like and then the music like stops for a sec i don't know if you noticed that but it's just excellent stuff here so like azula yeah. pisses zuko off she calls him zuzu <laughs> and i was wondering what your reaction to that was because i feel like zuko can't you can't react to like if you're reacting to something like that that means azula is already in your head i think yeah, I know. This is like any time that you're trying to tilt someone when you're like playing a video game yes. and like you're just like just like casually like getting under their skin. So they just like get more and more on tilt and start making more mistakes. Like if Zuko's so on tilt that like all it takes is being like, oh, okay, Zuzu and Zuko's like already pissed off, then like you're probably not going to uh, be winning this uh, interaction. Yeah, and I thought that right away. I was like, okay, Azula already like quote unquote won this interaction already here with just by getting under Zuko's skin right away. She definitely has the upper hand. To quickly just go back to the the theme of Azula. Yeah, yeah, continue, uh, continue. The the theme is like really great and I think Mm -hmm. uh, we'll notice like as uh, Azula keeps coming up, this theme will show up again and again and I think that the theme evolves uh, to where I believe like in season three, whenever she becomes the Fire Lord, once um, once, uh, Ozai becomes like the Phoenix King, that this theme like gets more and more distorted as she gets crazier uh and i I think this like theme is a great way to track her character uh and i think like this and the fire nation theme are both like really really good at displaying like you know the emotion we should be feeling and i think that you know because this is an animated kid show that the music displaying what emotion you should feel is very important so i think this is something we should pay attention to i agree and the music's absolutely like 
I'm not really an expert on music. Like my brother's a musician. I'm not. I'm kind of tone deaf. But even when I watch Avatar, <laughs> I'm like, wow, the music. It's like they it always just sets the mood perfectly. Even in season one, that's kind of what I felt like with a concert. It kind of reminded because like even season one when the episodes were not amazing, I was, sometimes I was like, wow, the music is still on point. Kind of reminded me of like the prequels in Star Wars in that regard, where it's like episode one of Star oh, Wars yeah. is horrible, but then you still have like John Williams' incredible score there. Yeah, Fate of the Duels is like one of my favorite uh, things from any movie. Like one of my favorite uh, movie songs. It's so good. Yeah, exactly. And I think Ben, I was talking to Ben Taub, who's been on like some Rob has a podcast, a Jason podcast before. I know he's got like a music podcast and we might have him potentially on in the future. And yeah, I I, I would be interested to hear his take because I know he's like a musical wizard. So yeah yeah that'd be great i would love to have a a better breakdown you know i i can hear like some things but uh it definitely someone who like understands what they're talking about and can read into it more would be awesome so yeah same because i I like having you here honestly because i feel like you're more musically inclined than i am you we've talked about how i've never been to a musical and you've (laughs) been to multiple so yeah it's the uh it's the varsity choir from high school that uh that gets me there you know uh-huh. See, I never took the choir in high school, and like I kind of regret. I wish my mom made me play an instrument, but then for our choir, they needed a bass for O Canada at our graduation. And they're like, okay, Zach, you're the only person in the whole school who has a deep enough voice. So I just like stood <laughs> in the back and just like mumbled like O Canada, <laughs> and that's nice, like, that's nice. all my choir experience singing O Canada once. But <laughs> hey, that's uh, that's not too bad, you know. I feel like that's something to build on. Uh, true, maybe. True, true. Maybe uh, we can come together and we can uh, sing some Avatar themes together. Uh, <laughs> True. I don't feel fun. so bad. Let us so far off course here. But back to, <laughs> back right, to yeah. Azula and Zuko. <laughs> so she explains to Zuko and Iroh that Ozai regrets banishing both of them. And she he wants... No, actually, Ozai regrets banishing Zuko and wants him home. And I thought this was telling. She's like, she, she's like, okay, Ozai only wants Zuko. Because I feel like had she said Ozai wanted both of them, then Iroh would have been even more attuned to like her trickery in a way. What did you think yeah. about this? I'm not actually sure that Uncle Iroh is banished from the Fire Nation. Like, I think that he is, uh, like, he's never been banished. Like, we see uh, Admiral Zhao, uh, like, take... Iroh as a general, and I don't think that he could do it if he was banished. I think Iroh's chosen to go with Zuko, and so um, Zuko is the only one who needs to be like explicitly welcomed back oh, because okay, I think then, Uncle Iroh's never been banned. Interesting, interesting. Which is kind of surprising to me, but I guess like Ozai could ne- like Ozai could never really confront Iroh because Iroh's only person in the Fire Nation who's like as powerful as him in a way. So that that does make sense. That's interesting. Yeah, and then so. Azula's like, she still maintains her composure and she tells until like Iroh says, he's like, Zuko may need time to think about it. And then she like snaps at Iroh and she tells him not to interrupt. And then late, then she herself, like a minute later says like, oh, Zuko may need some time alone and she'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> and then Iroh, like 30 seconds prior to this, is like said exactly that and you told her to shut up. And I think this is very good writing because it shows like how... Azula is so, while she is calculated, she's also like the smallest thing can set her off. Because <laughs> just like Iroh yeah. trying to interject here, she snaps Azula. And then I, I, I like that. I thought this was, this scene again, like very well written in this whole episode and this whole storyline in particular, just such a good introduction to Azula overall. You really get a sense of like who she is with, with not yeah. even much dialogue, really. 
and you can tell that like uh, she's like manipulating him very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she keeps saying like a message from home. He wants you to come home. Uh, like family is important. Family are the only ones you can trust. Like there's some rhetorical analysis here that I think even rivals Katara's speech in Imprison. Like the way that she's constructing these sentences. Like you know uh, saying like I gave you great news. Like you should be happy, excited, grateful. Like this is the type of stuff that you'd be breaking down in your English classes in high school. So. I think that Azula here just shows how cunning and manipulative she is and how sharp. And I think uh, her cutting off Iroh is just the the cherry on top, how she, you know, goes back 30 seconds later just to say the same thing. Yeah, and and that actually, I, I, I honestly, when I first watched this episode years ago, and like, I didn't really catch this. But then now upon this rewatch, I'm like, oh, wow, they really like planted the seeds for unhinged Azula very early, which I did yeah. not realize until now. Yeah, like it almost even seems like Azula has a script and like Uncle Iroh mentioning anything was like, wait, uh, like you throw me off my script. Like I was going to say all of this already, like I prepared this and uh, like I was going to get through it. So that's what it seemed like to me. Yes, yes, Um, exactly. And then the the next scene we see is uh, Katara and Aang are talking uh, back at the base. Katara asks uh, Aang to talk and says, uh, essentially, like, do you remember at the Air Temple after you saw Monkey Yatso how much the Avatar State hurt you? Like, how this is not something that you should go in uh, just because it has incredible and helpful powers uh, that it leads to too much rage and pain for you. And so she tries to talk him out of this. Aang is not really receptive here, but Katara has some great points. No, she does. And like everything she's saying is true. She does. She says as just as she's coming from this as a friend and not like a savior of the world in a way. Cause it's like, yeah, of course she wants the fire Lord to be defeated and the world to be at peace too. But at the same time, she doesn't want to see just Aang suffering while going through this process. But then Aang rebuttals and he says he's already been a hundred years too late and he has to try anything to defeat the fire Lord. And again, like, Right here, honestly, I thought even this whole scene, both Aang and Katara came out well from this because Aang is struggling to find any alternative to defeat the Fire Lord that makes sense. And Katara's like showcasing her like maturity and she's expressing genuine concern for Aang here, I thought. Yeah, and here I think that Aang is like um, a little bit incorrect. Like he says, oh, I'm already 100 years late, but that's sunk cost. Like you can't go back and fix it. Like you already are 100 years late. Like conditional on you being 100 years late, what's the next best move? Uh, like, should you go about it the right way and learn all the elements or just go in the avatar state? But I don't think the fact that he's late, like, should change his decision at all. Uh, that actually annoyed me a bit. I think that's illogical. You're right. It's illogical, but he's a 12 year old kid. Like, he, I feel like mm, I can't yeah. really, I can't really hold him. Like, you're, uh, don't get me wrong. You are correct, but it's like, I can't hold him to that because, of course, he's going to look back at the hundred years he wasn't there with regret, even though he shouldn't, because what could he have done? Like, there's yeah. nothing. He, he was left in the storm he had to freeze himself in the iceberg he had to do all of this all but right that's for- fair but going forward now he does like i can kind of see why he's like okay at least this avatar state could be a shortcut to defeating the fire lord as soon as possible and yeah i so i, I like while he may be wrong in wanting to do this i can again i can see it from his point of view 
Yeah, that makes sense. I guess I can't uh, fault him too much for not knowing about like sunk cost fallacy. So uh, he is 12 after all. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm sure that was the first thing on the mind. I heard Momo was a big expert on sunk cost fallacy and was whispering yeah, yeah. that in the angle. Big, big econ major guy, yes. you know, uh, yeah, exactly. Momo with an economics degree. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you should see pocket. the debates. Like in, there was a deleted scene. It was like Momo and Appa just having this like crazy economics debate. It all went over my head. Because I, okay. I don't know anything about any of that, this. But. Yeah, yeah, that's the type of stuff that I love. So I guess uh, what do I need to do that uh, to watch that Zach? I have to get the DVD. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> okay, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to watch that. So uh, perfect. Until uh, now, I'm just counting down the minutes to watch that. But uh, oh, wow. I guess we can go to the next scene. Uh, so the next scene, I think another person to blame here is Uncle Iroh. So Zuko's like packing up. He's super excited. He's like, we're getting to go home. I'm so excited. It's unbelievable. Uncle Iroh is like, it is unbelievable. And that is not the way to start. Uh, he's essentially like saying, yeah, like maybe it's too good to be true. Like my brother isn't one to take back his decisions. Uh, and Zuko's like, no, like didn't you hear Azula said like he changed his mind and family's important. And uh, Uncle Iroh's like, yeah, I don't think you're right here. Uh, and this does not go over well. It doesn't go over well, but like, what can Iroh do? Like, Zuko, in, right now, in this moment in the series, is just so naive. He just buys into what Azula says. And like, don't get me wrong, Azula is very calculated with her speech, but it's still tr quite transparent. And like, Iroh is correctly skeptical of Azula's invitation. But Zuko is just like so blinded by his need for his like honor back from Ozai and all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like Azula has the mist uh, yes, in order to trick does. Zuko. Like here, it's like Dan uh, tricking Danielle Murphy in season 14, a big brother. Like Zuko just has no shot against Azula. Azula's way too manipulative for Zuko to know what's happening. Yeah, and man, this scene, like, I mean, it makes sense because Zuko is going to have the best, like, redemption arc in, like, TV. One of the greatest in television history. But it's always disappointing as a viewer whenever you see, like, Zuko spitting venom like this at Iroh. Yeah. Because he's, he's, uh, he's expressing this disbelief and he's like, well, you're just a lazy, distrustful, shallow old man who's always been jealous of his brother. And it's like, man, how can you say this to Iroh? Iroh's the only person your life is looking at. Like, don't get me wrong, it I makes know. sense within the confines of his character. But just as, like, a viewer, I'm like, man. How can you be talking to Ira like this? The man who dropped everything then and like just to help you on your journey. How can you I know like that it, to him. it really does hurt like these are yeah. certain words that just can't be unsaid and like yeah. I've had moments like this where I get really mad and I say things that I immediately regret and like being in Zuko's moment like feeling that pain and lashing out just makes me feel so sad for Zuko because as we said season one Zuko has the words like honor like right there in 64 point font of his word cloud this is so important to him he sees a path to get it and he's just blinded by it uh, which really is a upsetting but uh yeah we're, we're about to see that zuko is about to get tricked and uncle iroh is right so i i think that uncle iroh is mature enough to not hold this uh not hold this against him yeah and uncle iroh doesn't seem too put off by it. like i was disappointed watching it but you're right and i and like you said i too have had moments in my life where like even to my parents where i'll say something like ah, I, yeah. I should have said that and mom, mom mom was looking out for me i should have been a little nicer so we've all been in zuko's shoes so i'm not trying to like say with like anything like that but it's just it's tough what can you do here 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, like, this is exactly uh, where I'm coming from as well. Yes. So, uh, in the next scene, we see Aang. He is having another nightmare of himself in the Avatar state. But this time, he's about to snuff out Zuko's life. And he wakes up just gasping. And I thought this was an interesting dream because Zuko is this person who's been chasing after Aang for months now in the in their world. And yet... Aang is still having nightmares about killing him. Like, usually when you see, like, a protagonist and an antagonist, you see, like, a protagonist dreaming about this, it's them getting killed by the antagonist. So, so it's, like, an interesting dream to have where it's, like, Aang does not like Zuko, and, like, this is a man who's been chasing after him and wants to capture him, and yet he still is having nightmares about killing him, and that just shows you how, like, adverse to killing Aang truly is, that he won't kill somebody who's, like, 100% his enemy. Yeah, it also gets back to Sarah's point uh, from the mm-hmm. finale of book one. Like, we do see this connection between Aang and Zuko. And while it's a little bit more complicated uh, now than it will be later when it's, like, very clear that they're allied, like, Aang does care for Zuko. Like, he doesn't let him die in the Siege of the North. Uh, and it seems like he does, like, you know, he feels for Zuko and doesn't at least want harm to come to him. Like, obviously, I think Aang doesn't want to be chased around the world. But I don't think that that means that he wants to uh, harm him. Uh, Again, uh, you know, another Avatar state, another slash. Uh, that's exactly what we see again. Uh, I think it's a go-to move. I think it's obligatory at this point. Uh, so there you go. Uh, one more slash. Just just put it in your notes uh, for one now. One more slash. AA must have some like crazy fruit ninja high score if he existed in like 2010 or whenever that app was popping. Oh, yeah. He should go to one of those like Dave and Busters or like one of those arcade games because they still have the fruit ninja machines. He could hit the high score and get uh, the jackpot every time. I remember having Fruit Ninja on like my iPod Touch in like 2011 I want to say. Like, yeah. So long ago. That's a good game actually. I think I might download it again yeah, I mean, it was fu- It was fun for like a month and then it's just like every mobile game just gets hella repetitive and boring. But you know yeah. what? I'm getting back on the Fruit Ninja train. <laughs> uh, I think Fruit Ninja is the official app of Ang and Man, <laughs> at least until we come <laughs> yeah, up with a better a, one. That's a quick thing. I don't know if I goes that. I mean, sure, I don't really care, but... <laughs> All right, let's check back next week. I'll, I'll play some. I'll let you know how well it holds up, and we can uh, we can have this I, debate I, next I, week. Honestly, I kind of wonder if they even updated it now, so I, I do have some curiosity on myself. Well, I remember when they released it on the Kinect, and everyone was saying how, like, it was so delayed, and it was, like, one of, how they were showcasing, yeah. like, issues with the Xbox Kinect by how, like, poorly Fruit Ninja ran on it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, check back next week. I'll let you know how uh, Fruit Ninja is in 2021. Uh, <laughs> yeah, until, so, then. So, we'll, until then, yeah, we'll continue with our little Rinky Dink podcast here. Yep. Uh, so, so then Aang is sitting up and uh, he starts talking to Sokka and he uh, wakes up Sokka and he says, I don't want to be in the Avatar state. Sokka's like, okay, are you sure? And then Aang's like, yeah. Sokka's like, okay, fine. And just goes back to bed. Sokka I, I does like not this. care to have this conversation. He should have gone to Katara and said this. <laughs> but I, I like this writing. You know why? Because it's I've done this before. It's like when you're woken up by somebody and they're like trying to talk to you and have a legitimate conversation, I'm just going to agree with everything they say. I remember when I was like in high school, my mom on her way to work, she'd like come to my room and like wake me up and be like, oh, you got to do this and this and this. I'm like, okay, mom. Okay. Okay. And then go back to sleep <laughs> like the moment she closes the door. And I feel like Sokka's in the exact same because Sokka talking pretty bluntly. He's just a person who just wants to go back to sleep rather than talk. Because then when he tells Aang, he's like, eh, 
What can the general say? If you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. You're the avatar. Nobody knows yeah. better than you. I, I, I like this because I feel like had Sokka been awake, maybe he would have been a little more adversarial to Aang here and been like, no, you should listen to the general. But instead, Sokka just like agrees with Aang and then just wants to go back to sleep. So I, I, I kind of like that, actually. Well, good to know. Uh, if I ever need to get you to agree to something, I'll just ask you really late at night and try to wake you up. Oh, yeah. Uh, 100%. It's like an you automatic like, hey, agreement. Hey, Zach, want to start a Fruit Ninja podcast? I'll be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll All wake right. up Sounds and be like, good. okay, what did I agree to now? Expect a message in uh, about 12 hours. Uh, oh, great. I'll hit you with that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Oh. Uh, and the next scene we see is Uncle Iroh uh, is like trying to catch up to Zuko. Zuko's walking down to the ship uh, with Azula. Uncle Iroh's chasing after him and saying like, no, like, wait up. Uh, I'll come with you. And uh, Zuko's like very happy to see him. And Uncle Iroh's like, yeah, family uh, like sticks together. He puts a hand on Zuko's shoulder and we get a really weird shot here. Uh, We see a flashback to uh, Zuko as a kid with a hand resting on his shoulder from years ago. It seems really out of place in this moment. I get what they're trying to do, but it just seemed abrupt. I, I, I disagree with that, actually. For the first time in a long time, I'll play... I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate, but I do, I do think, like, I thought this was a good callback because for, from Zuko's perspective, Zuko, okay, he's got his uncle with him, Azula's accepting him back into the Fire Nation, everything's back to normal, back to that... Because this, that, that, that clip you're talking about is from the Blue Spirit episode, I think. No, it's from the Storm. And what it mm-hmm. is, it's a flashback of him with his mom playing with Azula. And it's like Zuko essentially looking back to that idyllic time. And like, you could tell in this moment, he just wants to return to back then. And he's like looking at it as from, okay, they're finally, things are going to be back to normal. He'll finally be happy. And again, just like he was way back when. Yeah, and I I get that, but I feel like his next line is like, you know, we're going home. And I feel like that in itself is enough to like understand his emotion and like this shot just like, was a weird little thing. But yeah, like I see your point. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. The the next scene that we see is Aang is uh going up to General Fong and he's saying like Hey, uh, I actually don't want to do this anymore. Like I can't go into the Avatar State on purpose. Um, General Fong is like, you know, letting him make one final decision. It's like, the, it's like when your mom's like, are you sure about that? Like right yes. before she punishes you. Aang is like, yeah, like I don't think I can do that unless I'm in genuine danger. And General Fong's like, yeah, I thought you were going to say that. And then takes his desk and just sends it right at Aang uh, and sends him <laughs> soaring across the room. This was a great surprise attack. Like I would never have seen this coming. True. This was a good surprise attack, honestly, from General Fong. I'll give him credit for knowing that like Aang could say no to him and having this in his back pocket. But at the same time, I think overall, this is what I mean. This is the flaw in his plan because if the general wants to do this, this is like, it's extremely stupid on his part because even if Aang gets into the Avatar state here, which he does, once he's out of it, he would never use it on behalf of the general's army. He would always harbor that grudge for the general forcing him into the Avatar state by attacking him. Like, once you attack Aang here, there's no scenario where Aang is like, okay, now I'm going to use the Avatar state and be on your team and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, no way Aang is going to work with you going forward. 
Yeah, it is a bit weird. You know, we we saw Azula early in the episode tell the guards, like, hey, you might need to attack members of the royal family. Uh, General Fong tells all of these earthbenders, like, hey, attack the Avatar, and they don't hesitate. Like, they're ready to go Which is to weird. attack. I, I found this very odd, I thought. Very really? odd. Yeah, why? Like, aren't they like, hey, why are we attacking the Avatar here? Like, how are they so loyal? Does General Fong just have, like, dirt on each member of his army? Because I thought this, <laughs> you are absolutely right to bring this up, because I found this so confusing honestly this yeah, is the one like, thing in the episode where i was like this makes no sense exactly because like without a moment's hesitation uh general fong is like okay like time to attack uh and then they immediately get ready with these like mario looking coins made of earth uh ready to send at him like it's so quick they're not even like oh uh are you sure like maybe we should think about this they're just like yeah let's do it like time to go and then we're going to rank this fight at the end because I agree. Honestly, I agree with you on that. I have nothing to add. You're just spitting facts right now. But <laughs> you have anything? We can like skim through this fight. Is there anything that really stood out to you? I noticed like the big, like essentially they have like these stone versions of their gold, like Earth Kingdom currency that they're like shooting at Aang and then Aang's like trapped in and it's like rolling and like jumping through them. So there was some cool stuff in this fight, but is there anything that really stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's pretty creative, uh, mm-hmm. like, at least while it's still, like, Aang trying to evade all of them, uh, it's pretty interesting here. So, like, we see these, like, you know, uh, earthbending currencies with the holes in the middle being shot at him, and the way that he avoids them is, like, pretty clever. Like, there's a few times where, like, you know, they're sent and he, like, jumps between them. There are other times where, like, they all crash into each other, and Aang, like, sits in the little hole uh, instead. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, this level of, like, creativity Activity, uh, it's like it's so fun like this is why I love uh, the avatar fights is like you know they're sending these giant earth coins which is like never something I thought would ever be uh, fired at someone um, and then the way the Aang is like you know getting in the hole of one or he's like hiding in another I think is like just fun uh, so I, I really enjoyed that yeah I thought I thought this was a good fight overall considering how like it's not one I usually remember but then yeah I like him like jumping through the holes also like whenever Aang like goes on his air scooter up a wall and then like the yeah. air scooter dissipates and then he starts like running along the wall vertically I always enjoyed that he also does this in the drill and he's I think he's done it before too but I always think that's such a cool shot because it's not one you see like a protagonist in other shows like really do like because I feel like there's not really a superhero that has powers quite like Aang, honestly. So every yeah. time I see like a fight that incorporates all of the airbending, I'm usually quite entertained and my eyes are glued to the screen whenever I just see Aang doing his thing. Yeah, I agree. And it was also pretty cool here because the ostrich horses are apparently able to also like scale up the wall. And so as Aang is going up, the ostrich uh, ostrich horses are there. They both try to slice at him. The people uh, Mm -hmm. on like try to slice at him with these spears and he does like a jump uh, behind, which like seems pretty cool. Uh, I was a big fan of that. Uh, General Fong, like right after that, uh, says like, you can't run forever. And Aang responds, you can't fight forever. Uh, and I think that this is like pretty clever. I like the like evading. Uh, this really shows like what an airbender is like someone who's always trying to evade, like try to find a way out. And the earthbenders are very direct, like they're sending blows yes. at him all the time. And I feel like this is like a pretty good fight to just understand, you know, who's like who's uh, or I guess what is an airbender and what is an earthbender. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And I agree with you. It's like. That's the one thing I enjoy about Aang as well. Another thing, it's like, 
just his defensive fighting style in a way. Like his fight with Zhao yeah. and the Deserter where he just evades every single thing. Because again, that's not something that's normal in like these shows of like um uh, and protagonists with superpowers usually they're like the ones who are always on offense it's very rare you see like um, a protagonist who's got like these defensive maneuvering that Aang has yeah yeah I agree um, we leave this fight for a little bit to go back to Uncle Iroh and Zuko who are going up to Azula's ship uh, we see a bunch of guards uh, Uncle Iroh seems a little bit sussed out um, kind of like looking at the guards and you know feeling a little bit cautious Azula welcomes them to the ship uh, the captain then says, like, uh, are we ready to go? Azula's like, yeah, let's set our course for home, captain. And the captain just makes a bad error. He must have rolled one on a D20 because this <laughs> is a critical error. Uh, he says, we're taking the prisoners home. And he has immediate regret on his face. And I think why he has regret is not because, like, Iroh and Zook are going to, like, attack him. It's because, and I, I have a question for you. It's like, do you think this captain's still alive or do you think Azula just hit him with like a <laughs> lightning bolt to the head immediately after this scene? Because I think this man's dead. He's getting thrown overboard into the tide. He's crashing into that rock. Like, there's no way Azula retains him as a crew member after this, after this like horrible mistake. Because Azula had this like Machiavellian plot, honestly, just in this first episode. Her plan was to like get Zuko and Iroh to board her ship willingly. And then once they step foot in the fire nation like arrest them as prisoners like this is a great plan i think just like there's yeah. no i don't i don't really think there's an issue with this plan until the captain makes the mistakes of raise the anchors we're taking the prisoners home like that's where the plan falls apart through no fault of azula uh, yeah, like, I, I agree here. Um, Azula has like a perfect plan and I actually think that, uh, it would have worked. Yeah. I do um, <laughs> without this like incompetent captain. So maybe she should have just, uh, said like, okay, uh, this captain is not gonna like defy the tides. Like, let's just get rid of him now. I actually maybe. saw on the extras from the, uh, episode. Um, like these were posted, I believe on Nickelodeon later uploaded to the avatar wiki that in an early draft of the script, the captain was vaporized ex uh, like right where he stood. But people thought that that was too harsh for a children's show. So like in the original script, like Azula turns around and just vaporizes him immediately, which I think so, would wow, have been look, so cool. Look at that. So I, 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 I had a feeling because it's in her character, honestly, to just like kill him on the spot. And that's the yeah. thing, like Azula is a great antagonist, but it's like she's almost confined by like Avatar being a children's show, <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. It does, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to word that better, but I just that's something I feel like throughout season two almost because you never really like get to see her like truly exude that like vicious nature she had, except in the season two finale, maybe that's like the one exception. I yeah, I, I think in the live action version of this, if it's like even just slightly more dark, that Azula probably just like blasts him right where he stands. Because yes. uh, I think that is exactly in Azula's character. And it's just like not acceptable for the children's show. You're totally right. Um, what we see is like Zuko starts to fight some people. Uncle Iroh just like destroys some of these guards. Like he's taking them out like two at a time and just like sending them uh, off the walkway into the water. Uh, we see them start to fight, and then we go back to uh, the Earth base. Yeah, we go after. So the Earth, the Earth Kingdom general, he traps Katara in quicksand, 
Because Katara, what happens, she's just chilling with Momo, and she's like, ah, maybe I should go check on Aang, because in the scene prior, she decided that she did not want to see Aang go into the Avatar state, and was just going to stay in her room, like she was just adamantly opposed to it, and understandably so. But then she talks to Momo and decides that she wants to go check on Aang, and when she does, the general captures her and traps her in quicksand, and yeah. he threatens to, does he threaten to kill her here? Is that what he does? Um, he just, like, starts to, like, make her sink. Uh, mm-hmm. First, like, quickly let's, uh, like, go over a few other of the things. So, like, Sokka oh, yeah, starts true. the fight. So, Sokka, like, pulls out his boomerang and starts to hit some soldiers, which I thought was mm-hmm. funny. Katara uh, starts, like, fighting against them. Katara actually sends a water whip at General Fong. And I noticed um, that as General Fong is, like, having this attack, uh, he turns Earth into, like, this sand substance. And then Katara's water attack becomes mud. I felt like this was a great great way for any earthbender to beat a waterbender. Essentially, if you can get the earth up in the air, then the water can never hit you because it just becomes mud before it gets to you. Yeah, and I, I actually, I can exactly picture the moment of the fight you're talking about where he instantly just turns to mud and falls in front of him. And you're right, this is good. Or this is a good um, defense for an earthbender against a waterbender. And I think, yeah. like, a w- waterbending, it's like, you're, like, earthbending is, like, the closest thing to, like, a counter to a waterbender. Whereas, if, like, a competent waterbender is fighting a competent firebender, then the waterbender should potentially win, you know? Unless they yeah. have, like, the light be- lightning bending aspect and all of that, but... I feel like water in general just has such an inherent advantage over fire just because of like the laws of nature, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you there, but I think that this like earth uh, versus water was like pretty interesting and no, it's not right. something that we see often in mm-hmm. uh, the Avatar series just because they're on the same side. We see it a Usually bit more in this fight in Korra. Uh, and I think there's some interesting stuff that happens there, but just wanted to point that out. Yeah, so then uh, General Fong turns to Aang, who has just managed to totally get distance away from everyone. Aang's way too evasive. And General Fong says, maybe you can avoid me, but she can't. Um, the soldiers then get the earth coins, uh, ready to like hit Katara. And that's when Fong like makes her, uh, go into quicksand essentially. And, uh, like gets her in this, uh, quicksand buried so she cannot escape. Uh, it seems like this is what really breaks Aang. Uh, Katara is like, you know, freaking out a bit saying like she's not able to move. Sokka even gets upset. But then as Sokka charges at him, General Fong then makes the animal, the poor animal who did nothing wrong, by the way, um, makes the animal go into quicksand, which means Sokka gets flung off. And now Aang is the only one who can stop him. Aang says like, you need to let her go. And General Fong's like, nope, not until you get into the Avatar state. Yeah, and Aang's, like, on the verge of tears here. I feel like it's tough, you know what I mean? Like, he's got he's got just this crazy-ass general, like, threatening to kill the woman, the girl he loves. And, of course, he's going to get put into the Avatar state with all this emotional distress. Because that's essentially when these Avatars get into the Avatar state. It's, like, when they're so emotionally distressed, they can't control it anymore. And just that pure, raw, unadulterated power comes out of them. And, yeah, it just... Because, like, Aang's on the verge of tears. He, like, sees Katara, like, go into the sand. And that's when his eyes start to glow. And you see him rise up in the Avatar state. And that's why I think this was a horrible plan from General Far, like horrible execution, because you threaten to kill Katara. This is the person that the Avatar loves. Like, he's never going to work with you again, even if he's on your side. Like, Aang is never going to want to, like, work with the general at all. So that's why I thought this was not a good plan. 
Yeah, I agree. Like, Aang is sitting there pleading at his feet, mm-hmm. saying, like, please stop yes. doing this. Like, whatever you do, stop. And, uh, like, General Fong's like, no, I need to do this. And I agree. Like, even if, like, you take out Katara, like, first off, that's his waterbending master. So, like, he does need her to, like, be yes. around. But also, like, this is the person he cares about. Like, this is part of his squad, like, his team avatar. He's not going like, to take this seriously. And General Fong gets so excited when Aang goes into the avatar state. Like, he's so, uh, like, stoked. And what's the first thing we see, Zach? A slice. Uh, <laughs> Aang slices back some air. Um, and General Fong, like, I think pretty immediately realizes, like, I may not have done this, uh, because we see, like, fear strike his face. Uh, and Aang just, like, starts, uh, essentially, like, having this entire earth vortex around him. And I believe this is the first time we see Aang earthbend. Yes. Yeah. I think so too. I think you are correct. And it's interesting because going forward, when Aang goes into the Avatar state, I feel like a lot of the times he does incorporate, it's like Earth and Air are usually the two, like, especially in Season 2 that I feel like he uses the most. Like, water as well, and of course he's not really going to use Fire ever until Season 3, but when he's in the Avatar state, I feel like it's like Earth and Air are the, usually the ones I can see the most. Yep. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think now we're into Book 2, like, the Avatar state does come with a lot of earth bending, which is is pretty cool. And it's interesting that, you know, the first episode of book two, uh, where we see the, uh, like where this is like earth, uh, book is the first episode that he starts to earth bend. Um, yeah, and, oh, and then, so is there anything else you want to get into from this scene? You're going to cut back to Zuko and Azula here. No. Yeah. I think we should, uh, cut back to Zuko and Azula. Um, we see them starting to fight, uh, yeah. Zuko like is trying to blast the guards off of the deck uh, and we see Azula just like essentially waiting to take on Zuko, which is like already intimidating me. Yeah, she's like a final boss here, just standing yeah. on the ship, and like Zuko's like fighting his way towards her. And once he eventually does get to her, I notice here when they're fighting, Zuko's fighting Azula with like such rage and aggression, whereas Azula is just like maintaining her composure <laughs> even while she's on the defense. It's like she just like her movements. She she's not making any like movements that are too wide or anything too crazy. Whereas Zuko is like going in for the kill every time. And then Azula, while she's on the back foot, is able to knock Zuko away. She has him on his heels and she's about to hit him with a direct shot of lightning. But luckily, Iroh comes in, grabs her fingers and redirects the lightning and saves the day. Yep. Yeah, uh, Zuko here is like, you know, fighting with such high vigor that he actually like has fire beneath his blows. Like he has so much rage, like he's creating this fire dagger as he's punching. Azula's not doing much except throwing insults at him the whole time. Just saying like, you're miserable. You're a failure. Like, why would your dad want you yeah, to come why home? Why would father ever want you back? <laughs> just like, like tilting him smart. even further. Yeah, that's what I mean when I call it like Machiavellian. She's got like this psychological warfare with Zuko and it all like not just in terms of combat, but even like mentally, I feel like she's always a step ahead of Zuko. And while she's not the most mentally sane person herself, it's like she just has Zuko's number essentially. Yeah, what we see uh, in order to get uh, like Zuko back is Azula grabs Zuko's arm, pushes him away, and then has that iconic blue fire blast, uh, indicating like her fire burns so much hotter than any other firebender. Uh, he like falls in the stairwell, and then that is when we see Azula try to hit him with that lightning, and Uncle Iroh uh, like uh, diverts it and then knocks her into the water. 
Yeah, and thank God for Uncle Iroh. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Iroh and Roku, or not Iroh and Roku, Iroh and Azula are the only two people we see Ben Lightning throughout the whole series. Is that correct? Uh, yep, in the yeah. Avatar series, I think those are the only two people we see. And I yeah. think that, like, without this, without Uncle Iroh stepping in right here, Zuko, I'm pretty sure, is dead. Yeah, Zuko is dead. He's dead yeah. just like that guy in the original script of this the <laughs> captain who gets disintegrated on the spot. Because, yeah, yeah, Zuko takes his direct hit of lightning, he probably dies. And I, I kind of, I like that about Avatar, how, how it's like, while they can never show killing, they do kind of heavily imply it's like, if you take a direct shot of lightning, you're basically dead or like you're damn near close to it so and i do like yeah. how that's set up even here as early as like um season two episode one yeah uh yeah and so we see like azula get knocked into the water um after like narrowly almost ending her brother's life uh and that's the the last thing we see from this fight overall i, I like this fight like i think azula uh shows how calculated she is how mm-hmm. strong she is we see the blue fire we see the lightning we get lots of the greatest hits here and i really enjoyed this yeah i, I think i like this fight even more so than ang and um versus, like the earth nation kingdom but not not that that was a bad fight but this fight i really thought like not only was the fight choreography excellent but you also get a good glimpse into their characters of both yeah. Zuko and Azula here yeah yeah I agree with you there um, we cut back uh, just one last time to this other fight uh, at General Fong's Earth Kingdom base and we see General Fong is saying like hey like your friend's safe uh, takes Katara out of the ground and it's just like hey this was a trick like you don't need to kill me like we're good here uh, he seems pretty proud of himself that he was able to do this uh, but Aang rises up in this vortex and just levels the town like he destroys all the earth coins he flattens some of the buildings like the uh the ostrich horses like get knocked over like this uh dust and earth that he sends just like demolishes pretty much everything yeah and it's um it, that's why i mean like his the general fong's plan is so bad because even if you weren't intending to kill katara just like showing that to ang that you're willing to do that like ang is 100 percent going to be out on anything you try to do with him going forward and then i so saw right after ang levels this whole village he actually in the spirit in the avatar state gets taken off by roku on his dragon so his spirit leaves his body and he's on this dread i thought this was quite like odd timing for roku to step in here what did you think of this yeah, this is a bit odd timing, but it also, like, you know, the, sense, episode, the episode's name, the Avatar State, like, this is a good time for Roku to come mm-hmm. in and, like, essentially give some more mythology, set some higher stakes on the Avatar State. So far in book one, it just seems like the Avatar State's, like, an OP way to destroy everyone and there's no repercussions. And here we learn that's not quite true. Uh, I agree it's, like, odd timing, but I really like uh, what they do with the lore here, and mm-hmm. I like the way that they do this. Uh, um, so, like, Roku takes Aang into the clouds on the back of his dragon, and he says that the Avatar state is a defense mechanism designed to empower you with the skills and knowledge of all the past avatars. As we see this, we see a bunch of other avatars, uh, like, using the Avatar state to essentially, like, uh, do incredible acts of strength. Um, so, like, we see Kyoshi uh, get some giant statues, um, like, move around. Who are the other two we see? We see, I think, Karuk and Yang Chen. Is that correct? Uh, yep. Yeah, we see Karuk uh, get, like, a tsunami. Yang Chen does, like, a huge, uh, like, blow, uh, like, almost like a tornado. Mm-hmm. And we also see um, a firebending. Um, we see, yeah, a firebending avatar create, like, lava bending, uh, which was pretty cool as well. 
Yeah, I feel like lava bending, like that would be an insane power to have, especially if you're living <laughs> in Anwu's little town and you got the power of lava bending. A, you're safe when her prediction goes completely awry. <laughs> and then also, it's like, if you ever have an issue with anybody, you got just this like reserve of lava in the volcano to bend at them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I definitely do think uh, it's pretty hard to beat someone if you have uh, lava bending in your and- in your back pocket there. And then did you notice the dragon is not talking here? Unlike the movie where the dragon <laughs> was just a substitute for Roku. Because like, the dragon is not like, the dragon is just Roku's opposite. That's what shocked me about the movie, to be honest. I didn't realize how like Roku's dragon essentially is just Roku in the movie. Like he just yeah. takes his spot. Because I always thought just like in this scene, like Roku, every time he's in the animated series, he just adds so much and he's a great mentor for Aang to have. And you can tell even though he's like a hundred year old man or whatever he is, he like understands Aang because he too has been through all the trials and tribulations that Aang has been as well. Being yeah, the and it's, it's such a terrible thing that they don't have Roku in the movie because like even in the movie, like they go to the Northern Air Temple and they see all the statues of the past people. So they could be like, oh, that's Roku, the person that's talking to me. So the fact that it's the dragon's even worse. We don't need to dwell on that more. No, we don't need to dwell on it because the movie would have just cast like some young white person as Roku for God <laughs> knows what reason and like would have ruined him as a character. So you know what? Let's be happy they went with the CGI dragon. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll take the little wins here. Exactly. Um, so then Aang apologizes to Katara and he says he hopes she'll never have to see him like that again. Which is yeah, nice. Like well, get- well first, first we hear that like Aang uh, finds out that uh, from Roku that if you're killed in the Avatar state oh, that yes, the reincarnation cycle will be broken. No, yes. Uh, and this is, this is a big thing to mention because it, this is a huge part of the show going forward. It's like if you are killed in this state, you're done. Like, there's no more Avatar. Basically, the Fire Nation wins, etc. If Aang is reckless with the Avatar state and he gets killed, then there's no winning. Like, the, yeah. the good guys are essentially done. The allies would be kaput. Yeah, and, and this puts stakes on the Avatar state, and I think it makes mm-hmm. it a lot more interesting um, in order to have that. But yeah, then then we go back. Um, we see Aang say, like, uh, yeah, you want to see me like this again? Right before that, we see, uh, like, General Fong super excited. He's like, oh, this is awesome. Like, we figured it out. Uh, like, we're going to beat the Fire Nation. Sokka goes up behind him and just knocks him right in the head. What do you think happens to General Fong after he wakes back up? Like, does he lose his general? like yeah. his post or what What do we think happens to General Fong here? I think at the very least he loses his post. I don't think this is like what the, the I mean, I don't know because with the Earth Kingdom so weird with like the Earth King being like a figurehead and not an actual yeah. leader, but I think he does lose his post because even like the Dai Li and stuff, I don't think this is how they wanted to go about um, utilizing the Avatar, so I, yeah. I'd, I'd assume he loses his post at the very least or is demoted. So, who knows? I, I would at least hope that he's not, like, still doing this. Uh, I hope that there's some repercussions because, like, his whole base gets destroyed. Like, yes, they are Earthbenders, so I think they can put it back, like, pretty quickly because, mm-hmm. um, like, most of the damage is just to Earth. But it does seem like, you know, he acted a little bit rash here, and that's probably not who you want leading. So, I hope he, like, at least goes down to, like, captain or something. Yeah, I, I would hope so. And like, again, how do you even rise to the title of general? How incompetent he is, quite frankly. Yeah, he's uh, he's got like a lot of confidence. Uh, let's just say that. I think I uh, that might be how he gets. Must how have he impressed gets there. some higher ups. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, the fun- one funny thing is the soldiers are like, "Oh, do you want someone to take you to Omashu?" And Katara's like, "No, we're good. Uh, like, uh, yeah. we're set here." Like, and then we another do not funny thing is like, Sokka knocks over the general. He's like, "So, does anybody have a problem with that?" And the soldiers, they're like, "No, no, we have no like, problem no, with that." Problem. But it's so uh, weird. Yeah, it, it, this is why them. Like a couple of scenes prior, are just so ready to attack Aang. That kind of caught me off guard because now here, like, oh yeah, we we didn't know that guy. Oh, we we have no allegiance to him at all. After he like gets conked in the head, yeah. Yeah, like, it does seem like the, at least the regular soldiers know, like, okay, this was a mistake, like, we shouldn't have done this. Maybe they were, like, too eager to do it initially, but that's my only guess. And then we uh, cut to Zuko and Iroh sprinting away from Azula, and this is the final scene of the episode, and we know going forward they're gonna be, like, refugees from this point on. And then they cut off their buns, their, like, traditional Fire Nation hair buns, and throw them into the water. But I have a question for you. Is this not, like, very risky? Should they not just burn their hair? Because what if their buns just float down? Because they put it into a river. What if it floats down and reaches Azula somehow? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that too easy to track? Especially for two people who are on the run. Like, what I thought they should have done here... Because I just, I know I watched the episode just last night again. I thought they should have just cut their hair and just like burned it in a fire so you can't track that. You know what I mean? Yeah, but hair smells so bad when you burn it that you probably I guess don't. just burn it and run away though. I don't know. They, they have the fire yeah. at their disposal. My, my guess is like, you know, they're going to put it in the river. Like it's probably going to get stuck on a branch and like no one's going to see it. I, I think more so that this is actually like more of um, like, or, like I guess, uh, um, what is it called? Like a reference or it's like a... It's like referencing uh, the story of the Buddha who like starts the journey of self-discovery after like cutting off the like ceremonial hair next to a river. Oh, no, you know what? You're probably right. And I did not know that about the Buddha. Like, I just know he just liked to eat and got fat. So that was a peaceful (laughs) man. That's interesting. I I did not know that was a story. Yeah, so in the story of the Buddha, I believe uh, that uh, Siddhartha, like, goes to a river, cuts off the princely hair, and then starts on this journey of, like, self-actualization. And that's, like, uh, the marker that goes from, like, uh, Siddhartha as the prince to, like, Buddha who tried to become enlightened. So here, I think, you know, Zuko's going on the same journey. Zuko, who's been so focused on his honor, is cutting off the hair that marks him as a prince, essentially indicating that he knows he won't get that honor again. And instead of being focused on, like, the worldly possessions or, you know, like, being a prince and having that status, he starts his journey of self-actualization the same way Buddha does. Yeah, that's a very... Like you put that so eloquently, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I mean, you know what? Maybe you are right. Like, hopefully, I was just thinking, like, what if, like, somehow Azula comes, comes across like a sheer shoe or something, and then they start mm, sniffing and like yeah. find their hair somewhere, like stuck on a branch. Like, hopefully, it's like stuck deep in the river and they're fine. But yeah, that's the yeah. final scene of the episode: them ceremony unceremoniously cutting off their hair. Yeah, and yeah one, overall, one other oh. uh, fun piece of trivia. I saw like something on the knife and I was curious to know uh, what it stood for. So I looked it up and the knife inscription is never get up, give up without a fight. Uh, wow, would you look yeah. at that? That was interesting because I saw the knife inscription too and I just didn't bother to look it up. <laughs> I wish I did, honestly. I gotta, because I feel like whenever I do look up the Avatar wiki and sometimes I do it after record, after we record, I'm like, wow, I missed something so key. Like the mechanism is drill. I'm like, I should have noticed that. <laughs> like I gotta, I, I, I realized afterwards, like, so I felt bad, but. 
Yeah, uh, I, not a big deal. Like I, I looked it up. I, th- I think if you know one of us is on it, uh, it'll be good true, enough. True, so, true. Going, going forward, we just got to do more research on the, the Avatar Wiki. Great resource, though overall. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the beginning of book two, and wow, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought this was uh, a really great intro. There's so much that's set up in the beginning of book two that pays off throughout the rest of this uh, rest of the season. We have like the Avatar stakes. Um, we have Azula's lightning bending. We have Azula just as a character being badass. Uh, we have the journey of uh, Prince Zuko in order to be refugee Zuko in this like complicated uh, path that he goes down. There's so much here and I feel like this episode really did a great job of putting so much uh, that will pay off into one episode and still be a good episode itself. Yeah, no, I co-sign all of that. This was a great episode. It really, it was like serious in tone, but at the same time, they fit so much, so many important plot points into this. And that's why I enjoyed it overall. And yeah, just yeah. the fights were great. Just the entrance of Azula, man. Azula just instantly makes the show better with her presence. She's just such a dynamic antagonist. And again, like one you don't see often. And I'm not talking about just her being a female, but just the fact like you very rarely see this like cold, composed, like like teenager just able to command respect the way she does in any media really yeah, it's truly uh, a sight to behold yeah I agree with you there I think that like Azula's character is such a strong entrance there's so much there uh, that you learn even from just like the small little scenes like the throwaway lines and stuff like that really build Azula's character and I think that this ends up paying off by having a great antagonist for the next two seasons. So I'm so excited to be uh, starting starting book two with you, Zach. Yeah, same, same. And uh, yeah, so what segment are we going into next? Where do you want to go? you want to get to some feedback? Uh, yeah, sure. Let's tackle some feedback. So as always, you can write into avatar at poshowrecaps.com or tweet us at poshowrecaps uh, with your questions. Uh, yeah, some good questions this week, Zach. Um, let's start with Pat's question. Uh, I think this is a, a good question. It gets to, you know, like a little bit of General Fong's thought process. He asks, what do you think General Fong thought was going to happen when he incited the Avatar state? He's lucky he was not killed immediately when the Avatar went beast mode. So, like, what's the best case here for, uh, what, what's the best case here for yeah, General Fong? And I feel like when you antagonize Aang, there is no best case scenario. That's where I think his plan falls apart. But I think best case scenario is, like, he induces Aang into the Avatar state and somehow, like, Aang learns, like, okay, if I can, like, like, Aang almost becomes, like, a method actor in a way, and it's like, <laughs> if I can visit this dark place in my mind, I can activate the Avatar state. So, like, best case scenario is that through bringing this, like, trauma to Aang, Aang is able, going forward, to induce the Avatar state whenever he wants, because I think in Korra, this is not a really a spoiler, so don't get mad at me, people, but Aang, adult Aang, when he's like the Avatar and doing his thing, he's able to induce the Avatar state whenever he can. And I think most Avatars can do that when they're like in their like prime, they're able to induce the Avatar state whenever. And I think yeah. that's like best case scenario that Aang like learns to do that at such a young age. And then, you know, so, but yeah. I just don't think that would ever happen. But that's the only 
good scenario. Yeah, I can I, see. We probably should have had uh, Kevin on again because just like <laughs> the Hulk, uh, you know, all that he needed to do was always be angry, and then uh, Aang could go in and out as he wants. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, I, I think like maybe what uh, General Fong should have done if we're just talking a little bit of strategy here is he should have just said like, "Hey, when you get in danger, you'll be fine. So just trust me. Let's go attack the Fire Nation now, and then when you get in danger, you'll be able to take them out." Like General Fong doesn't actually have to be the one to do it. He just has to convince Aang to go attack them. So this seems like a tactical mistake. That's true. I didn't. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, we had uh, Felipe write in uh, of the Brazilian Dragon podcast and ask, have y'all had any interesting dreams lately, like Aang at the start of the episode? Any reappearances from that wishbone dog, Zach? No, no wishbone reappearances Oof, at all. Honestly, my dreams, especially in like the past couple of years, have really been rooted in reality. Like I always dream of myself like doing very mundane day-to-day things. It's been a long time since I've dreamed of myself doing anything quite crazy, but once in a while I do, but because my life is so boring, that like boring lifestyle just translates to my dreams as well, sadly. So nothing too crazy. No nightmares, though, so that's good. What about yourself, Jacob? Do you have any crazy dreams recently? Uh, I feel like my dreams are more like social anxiety. Like I've had a a dream like a few times in the past few weeks where I've gone to a thrift store and like the thrift store owner is just like, like, oh, you love baseball and you love the avatar. Like, let me show you all my collections. And I have to like pretend that what he has is cool. And like, it just invokes so much anxiety in me uh, that it's really like, I would say that's a nightmare. Maybe that's so much an interesting dream, but it has happened like three or four times and it sucks. That's such an odd dream. So what is he showing you in the thrift store yeah, there? Uh, perfect. I, I'm ready to go with this. So the first thing he shows me is a bat and he's like, oh, this is a bat that was used. And I'm always like, yeah, that's super cool. And then he's like, oh, and I made like a Lego set of an avatar scene. And then he shows me like all of the Legos that he made. And I'm like, yeah, that looks really cool. But like, he just like keeps showing me more and more things like that where I'm like, like they're pretty cool in the dream, but like, they're not like cool enough. And like, he really wants me to like them. And I just feel like so much anxiety. So there you go. I feel like I'm like that in real life too. I have like some of my friends have like interests that I'm not very interested in. And I feel like so I'm in a position where I have to like feign interest about stuff like that. So, yeah. what you mean? but it's just that's such an oddly specific team for the dream to have. Like, hey, you like Avatar and baseball. <laughs> These two things. And I guess Avatar and baseball must be really on your mind, even though is it not the MLB offseason? Uh, nope, definitely the baseball offseason. Uh, I guess it's never the offseason here on Aang in there, but I do not know why this is coming up. <laughs> And it's not even one time. Like, I had this dream last night, but this is, like, the third time in, like, two or three weeks I've had these dreams. So, there you go. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Well, there you go. That's a, I'm glad you had that answer at the ready for Felipe's question because I haven't really had any too crazy dream recently, which I'm, I'm happy about. God, I don't want Yeah, I, I wouldn't say these dreams are even crazy. They're more so just odd, um, <laughs> but... Yeah. Last question for this week. Lydia wrote in and said, what do you think Iroh's top five keepsakes are in his bag? If shells presumably obtained from his three weeks stint at sea with no fruit or water make the cut, he must have a whole bunch. What are his favorite? And does Zuko keep any keepsakes himself? Well, we know Zuko keeps his swords and his mask, but I don't know how many keepsakes Zuko has. I know Iroh's number one keepsake, but I could be wrong, but I think what it is it's that monkey statue with the rubies in, in, in its eyes that he bought off the yep. pirates in the waterbending school episode. Because we know he kept that for a long time. So I feel yeah. like it must be one of his favorites. We see him have it in later episodes. 
Okay, so that's one. I think number yeah. two has to be his white lotus tile. Uh, we, yes. you know, he has a whole episode where he's trying to find the white lotus tile. Like, that's true. He loves it. Uh, that's got to be number two. Do you know what number three might be, Zach? Number three, mm, I don't know. What else do you see? It's probably whatever instrument he plays on, like yep. the Fire Nation's music nights, because I know he's probably the one who's organizing those nights. So. Yeah, I, I'd say whatever instrument he's playing, unless he's just going with his voice and only sings. I don't know. No, I, I think uh, an instrument is a good for three. I think number four might be his tea set. You know, man oh, loves true. his tea. I think uh, he's got a teapot that's his favorite. Is that even a keepsake, though? Is that just like a necessity for Iroh to have? Because I don't think I, Iroh probably is like coffee to like a New York business executive is like tea for Iroh. I don't think Iroh can survive <laughs> without tea, quite frankly. You know, uh, just like me, like I have a bunch of baseball hats that I wear around. Like those are more functional. I have some baseball hats that are like keepsakes that like I wouldn't oh, want to wear because I don't want to get them dirty. Right. Yeah, maybe Iroh is like some antique tea set yeah. that he doesn't even normally use, but it just yeah. means a lot to him. You know what? That's very fair. And then uh, number five is his shells. Let's let's make him top five. Uh, there you go. So that's Iroh's top five keepsakes uh, ranked by how important they are. Do you think Zuko has any? Uh, mm, I don't know. I bet Zuko just has like a painting of like him and his mom, I bet, somewhere. And like Azula when they're kids. Probably has something that's like actually meaningful on like knickknacks that Iroh has. Yeah. It's like as keepsakes. Like I bet Zuko does have one that actually has some like legitimate meaning to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I was trying to think, you know, if Zuko had a keepsake that was more knickknack, what it would be. But I think Zuko is like much more practical than that. My guess yes. is that he's not carrying uh, like random things along the way. So I think that's fair. Yeah, uh, well, yeah well, there you go. That. That's our listener feedback. Who knew we'd be getting into ranking keepsakes? But uh, that's what we do here on Ing and There. Uh, we love your questions, so please do write in. Um, they're great fun. Another way you can participate in the podcast is by giving us your episode rankings. Each episode, Zach and I will rank the episode zero to four cabbages. Uh, you can also write in to Avatar at Post Show Recaps with your episode rankings and be incorporated in the listener rankings. Yeah, and even even if you don't, um, like want, even if you don't have any feedback that you necessarily want to add, we would still we like the, to get the just the ratings. Even like I think Maria yeah. sometimes she doesn't even write in feedback; she just writes in her episode rating, and we I like that we incorporate it in. So if you just have like an out of four rating for an episode, like if there's an episode that we feel strongly about that you think is crap, you just send us in the one out of four will incorporate it into the rating. Yeah. But at the same time, we would like if you have a strong rating for our show, we'd like your feedback. We like <laughs> we like all the feedback we get essentially. The more the merrier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you don't just have to tell us whether you like weather talk. You can also tell us about the episodes and yes, uh, any exactly. questions you have. This week, the uh, listeners were pretty high on the episode, but I think fair. Uh, they gave it a 3.52. Uh, I think in the pre-show I give you a different number, but I forgot about rounding. So there you go. 3.52 is the listener ranking. Zach, where are you on this episode? I'm I'm close to them. I'm going to give it a 3.7. I think 3.7 is where I'm at. I think Lydia had the same score as me, which is pretty good. Well, I feel like usually I'm quite different from her, but today we are simpatico here. I'm going to give it 3.7. Very good episode. I thought... The A-side story, it, like, set up a lot of plot points going forward, like the water from the Oasis and the fact that the Avatar state can, like, you can die in it and, like, if you die in it, there's no more Avatar and that. So, it, while it set up a lot of important things, I just thought on this watch, it wasn't as, like, I don't know, it wasn't the best. It was great, but 
wasn't my favorite stuff. Like, if that plot line was a little better, this would be veering on four territory. Whereas the B-side story with Azula was on point. Like, every single plot point landed for me. Amazing introduction to Azula as an antagonist. Like, you really get a great feel for her character. And that was what really captured me here. And that's rare. I feel like the A-side story most of the time is better than the B-side. But this episode, I think, is uh, uh, not, not the case. Yeah, I mean, the last time that we had a B-side story better than the A-side was Batu of the Water Tribe, which we did not hear about that. <laughs> but that was because uh, the A-side was, like, irredeemable, whereas <laughs> at least the A-side story here was good. It's just, yeah. The B-side was just a little better. Whereas yeah, no, I, agree, I agree with you there, Zach. Yeah. I was yeah. at a 3.75. I think oh, that nice. this is a solid A episode. I think, mm-hmm. you know, to start the to start a book is, like, a bit hard. Uh, yes. You know, we have, like, uh, so much that we have to get back into. That, like, you have to pick up on the old characters. You have to introduce new people but this episode does a great job it was extremely entertaining and it does so much setup work and i think that it does great this is one of the first episodes that has gotten a four from the odd from one of the audience members uh while like i'm a little bit lower on it i think that we're getting in that territory i think that this is where uh, avatar really just takes its own and does great uh this episode is a 3.66 which is one of our better ones uh what are your thoughts here zach it's a great premiere. I'm trying to remember the season three premiere. It's a little fuzzy for me, which is surprising because I rewatch season three so much. But gun to my head, I feel like season two premiere is even better than the season three one. So yeah, yeah, uh, agreed with you there. So yeah, the three point six six out of four cabbages, enough cabbages to make the uh, cabbage man go wild. And uh, next up is our battle of the battle rankings, where we see uh, what the uh, what the battles in each episode rank. Uh, this week we have two battles. We have the one between General Fong and the Earthbenders and Team Avatar, and the other between Azula, Uncle Iroh, and Zuko. Where do you want to start, Zach? Uh, let's start with the General Fong. We'll just start in the sequence that it happened in the show. We'll start with General cool. Fong versus Aang and them. I'll give this a 3.2 out of 4. I thought in terms of the fight choreography, this is a very good fight. But in terms of like the plot, I thought this was a little wonky of like just General Fong just attacking and like putting Katara in the hole and like all that stuff. And also Sokka and Katara in this fight really don't do too much. I think I really, I like the fights where Katara plays a bigger part in terms of like her just like taking out like huge groups of people with water bending, like her and Aang water bending together. That's what I kind of like out of these group fights which we did not get here but overall I like Aang jumping through the large stone coin pieces and Aang scaling the wall and fighting and like go slicing and dicing so I did enjoy it but overall just a 3.2 not the best fight we've seen yeah, I, I agree. I, like, ultimately, uh, there's some clever stuff here. I, like, I like seeing the interaction between Earth and water. I like Aang evading mm-hmm. a bunch. But I don't really buy the fact that the Earthbenders would turn on the Avatar so quickly. Yeah, that was so weird. Uh, yeah, I, like, I, I'm not really, I'm not sold on that. General Fong kind of annoys me. Like, he's way too one-track mind. So, I think this is a C plus. Uh, I'm giving it a 3 uh, out of 4. Uh, ultimately, I'm just not able to give it much higher. Uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and I had a feeling you'd be a little lower on this fight, so that's why I want to talk about it first. But this next one, I, I don't know about you, but I'm much higher on it. So if you have, you got Ira Zugo versus Azula and her gang of pi- um, Fire Nation soldiers. So what what's your score for this one, Jacob? I'm quite curious. Yeah, so uh, this episode, or sorry, this fight, I think, is uh, much better than the first one. Ultimately, like, the fight itself kind of takes a backseat to, like, the storytelling uh, of the fight. Like, the actual fighting uh, is not, like, super inventive. 
We do see some of the coolest things, though. So we see Azula's blue fire for the first time. We see lightning being used offensively. We see Uncle Iroh stepping in to save Zuko. Uh, I think that the part between Azula and Zuko is quite good. The, like, throwaway stuff where Uncle Iroh is just, like, disposing of royal guards left and right is, like, not that appealing to me. But I think the storytelling of this fight is what uh, I'm highest on. Um, ultimately, I think I would have wanted to see more for this to go into the upper echelon, but this is good enough for a 3.4 for me. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm going to be a little higher here. I'm going to give it a 3.6 for similar reasons as you. I thought the actual fight itself wasn't great. I did like Zuko's use of like the fire dagger in mm, each hand yeah. and him like being super aggressive with that. But I just thought like the storytelling and the fact that this fight, like you get such a glimpse into Azula and Zuko's characters without not, not even necessarily the dog, but just even looking at their fighting styles and how like measured Azula is relative to Zuko. And I just, I really enjoyed that. And I thought this tied into the episode so well with Azula's introduction. So while the actual fight itself was not great, and you could even argue that the first fight had better fight choreography, I just thought the storytelling here, unlike the first fight, made sense and was excellent to watch. So for that reason, I have it a little higher than you. I have it at a 3.6 out of 4. Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, a fair rating. That leaves the, the first fight at a 3.1 and the second fight at a 3.5. I think that is appropriate for uh, where they are. Mm-hmm. And that concludes our battle of the battle rankings. So far, no fight has entered the Avatar state, that perfect 4 out of 4, but I'm excited to see one that gets there itself. Uh, really? No, I, I, I think I no, none have entered on our rankings. I don't know if that ever will, but I feel like I gave Paku versus Katara a 4, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I yeah. think I was just a little bit lower on that. I think there are yeah. some fights uh, that will that will get that coveted Avatar state perfect four out of four. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think going down season two. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. We'll see if there's a fight that's so perfect. I know there's a bunch in season three. There's like yeah. one in particular at the end of season three that will get a four for sure. But I don't know. I think I'm going to give a lot of episodes fours going forward, especially late in season two and even season three. But I don't know if there's a fight that off the top of my head I think is a four. We'll see though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Interested to, if we do get there, I'm interested to see what fight will it be. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to check in and track that over time. Last yeah. segment we have today for the listeners is our T Quartet. Um, as a reminder, we take a group of four and we sort it into the four different elements, water, fire, earth, and air. This week, we're doing the four, uh, cartoon, uh, cartoon, like places to watch. I don't want to say cartoon networks because that <laughs> no, is no, like the, the four cartoon channels, channels that like, there we go, most children word. grew up with and stuff. This was Jacob's idea. It's a good idea, but going forward, I mean, we like to do the T quartets that you guys suggest. So feel free to write in at, avatar at postshowrecaps.com and um yeah write write a bunch it write a bunch of these t quartets in Uh, and i I am working on the golden girls one i've seen a few episodes now just for preparation for this and my mom says she's a golden girls fan so i might have her help me out on that so uh, perfect perfect my mom and brother are more into golden girls than me as well but i think i've like golden girls one of those it's like a sitcom like you could these sitcoms are actually good for the t quartet i think sometimes especially when they're like it's an older one so it's like their characters are so like just pigeonholed in yeah. a way where it's like they're easy to slot into bending type. Yeah. Whereas I, I think Golden Sarah, Girls would be easier uh, than like Sarah Sarah wants though. us to do that one so uh, we will. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. My mom is on the case uh, Perfect. As mine. Perfect. Yeah, because Sarah did suggest that one. And yep. I, I'm, I'm down to do it. That's a good quartet. That's like the most famous quartet that we haven't done yet, I think. Yep. Or one of the more famous ones. Yep. So, yeah, let's start off with the... So, we got Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, 
And what's the fourth one? Here? PBS, PBS, the uh, public broadcasting uh, for the the most, uh, I would say, like age appropriate shows. They're always like the educational ones. Yeah, you got like Sesame Street. All that. I remember between the lines, between the lines, the show, yeah, I always Cyber liked Chase. When I was a kid. Oh, Cyber Chase, classic. You got yeah. Gilbert Gottfried in there doing his thing. Yeah. Yeah, some great in, shows. Oh, Christopher Lloyd was also in Cyber Chase. Wow, you unlocked a memory I forgot I had of Cyber <laughs> Chase. Man, we just keep going with the uh, memories you forgot, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I'm a, forget- I'm a forgetful man. What can I say? But all right, let's start off. Where we, we stopped talking about this in the pre-show because we wanted to save this for the podcast. But let's start off. So, Jacob, had, you, what, what do you have as your firebender again? So, for my firebender, I have Disney Channel. Uh, I think, you know, Disney Channel, I think uh, here we have like the major conglomerate. If there's anything trying to take over the world, it's going to be Disney. Like, just think about what they've done so far, buying up every IP they can. Like, they are the people that are going to try to take over everyone. Everything you've said about it is true. Like, Disney is trying to take over their evil conglomerate. In fact, for me personally, like, I know Josh and Co. like, on our post-show recaps network love the Marvel movies. And for me, it's tough because, like, I feel like Disney is just so, like evil honestly like i don't <laughs> want to support disney you know what I mean? like and throughout my life i always try to just while there are disney films that i enjoy i just try to keep back my eye and like remember disney's just like not a good company they're buying all these ips they do a lot of scummy stuff overseas but i just think while disney the conglomerate is a firebender is disney channel firebender i don't know I, I don't know because I feel like the conglomerate, you're 100% right. They definitely exude all these firebender traits, but the actual channel itself, I mean, I don't know if like the channel does Aaron like Sweet Life of Zach and Cody and that's so <laughs> raven. I can say like firebender. I don't know. Right. Like, here's, uh, here's my next uh, reason why is because just mm-hmm. like uh, Azula, it goes a little bit off the deep end. So many of the Disney Channel stars also went off the deep end. I feel yeah, like Disney, another reason pushes, why Disney people, so pushes people to the edge. I feel like just like the Fire Nation. So I, I have Disney as the lock. It's a Fire Nation. Okay, you know what? I'll, I'll co-sign that. Disney is right. a Fire Nation. Perfect. Because <laughs> you know what? That's a very good point. And again, like that, that that's kind of like effed up to be honest. Like how many di- I was talking about that with my roommate the other day. How many Disney Channel stars just ended up so like messed up as they got older because we were talking about the kid in the first star wars i think mm, from jingle yeah. all the way the young anakin like that kid just like became like a drunk driver and all that stuff now yeah. so not yeah. great with these child stars but we'll yeah, move on to a less depressing um, topic and uh yeah what channel we got next here jake the next one I have as a lock is Cartoon Network. I feel like they have to be the airbender. I mean, they're mm-hmm. the network that put Adventure Time, Regular Show, Total Drama Island, Chowder, Teen Titans Go. Like, these shows are nonsense. Like, these shows... I, I love them. Uh, like, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I love these shows. But these shows are the nonsense, like, silly, like, things come out of left field. They're the airbenders for me. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I, 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 this was the only lock for me, really. It was Cartoon Network as my airbender for similar reasons. That's you just outlined they're like not afraid to go with these outside of the box ideas at any point they'll always really they're always willing to change up the formula i think like because i have a younger brother there was a lot of cartoon network shows that like while well, i was too old to watch i would just watch alongside my brother and mm-hmm. amazing world of gumball is one of those shows as well i just think that show for like a children's show i'm like wow this is actually like quite intelligent honestly and like the risk they take and how absurd it gets at the same time i think yeah cartoon network definitely is there but even in some of their other like 
Eric Andre show, the show I really love, and I even say like I cartoon out written that like their adult swim version are like also yeah. airbenderish because they're not they're willing to put things on air that I feel like other networks would just shy away from. So yep. for uh, that reason, I, I, I definitely have the most. I totally agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, I think like PBS and Nick are uh, a little bit harder for Earth and Water. Ultimately, I think uh, I went back and forth on this um, throughout uh, yesterday and today was as I was thinking on it. Ultimately, I think I have Nickelodeon as the Earthbender, uh, just based on the stability of their shows. Like, you know, you have Fairly Odd Parents going on for 10 seasons. You have SpongeBob going on for like more than my entire life. Like, they're the ones that you can go back to and you know what you're getting all the time. You're getting the same sort of stuff. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. For me, it's just, I actually had PBS as my Earthbender. Because, like, PBS is the channel that is just putting out the exact same content. When you watch PBS, you know exactly where you're getting. You're getting shows made for toddlers to educate. And that's what PBS has been doing for the better part of the past, like, five decades, I want to (laughs) say. So, for that reason, I kind of had them. I just think, to me, they're kind of both earthbenders in a way. But I think Nickelodeon is more waterbender-like to me. Because while they had SpongeBob be their, like, cash cow of success and they had Avatar be extremely successful as well. And the Fairly Odd Parents, like they've had some of these long running shows. They're also, you can tell they're like moving away. So they had like the era where they had SpongeBob and they had the era, which was like the Dan Schneider era, for lack of a better term, where he had, they had like all the shows he created, like iCarly, Drake and Josh, Zoe 101, etc. So it was like they had the era where they focused on SpongeBob, but then they had the era where they focused on these live action sitcoms. And now they have their current era, which is even different from what it was before because they sacked Dan Schneider did a lot of other things Legend of Korra was not as successful Spongebob they're having a spin-off which kind of sad because Steven Hillenburg didn't want any spin-offs of Spongebob and then they waited till he died but for that before you see how I mean like they changed across eras and okay. waterbending is the element of change so for that reason I had Nickelodeon as my waterbender and PBS as my earthbender but if you have them the other way it, may, it makes sense to me too no I actually think that that was uh, like pretty persuasive there putting Nick as the waterbender because of the versatility and the change and i you know what i'm sold so uh i I agree like i was going back and forth on these anyway uh i think that you put a pretty good argument out there and i'm willing to uh buy into that one and co-sign it completely so there you go yeah, well, on that note, wow, I did not realize we've been going for two hours. I know, <laughs> I'm surprised yeah. I, I, I don't need to use the washroom yet, but admittedly, I'm getting kind of hungry. So, on <laughs> this note, we will wrap. Thank you very much for, for all the people listening to this two-hour premiere podcast of season two. And, Matt, I don't know about you, Jacob, but I'm excited to get into the meat of season two. Yep. Uh, I'm super excited to get into the rest of season two. If you've made it this far, then you are a true Team Avatar yes, podcaster. You are a true fan. Like, I feel like the only person listening now is like Pat, maybe Lydia, if she really loves you, maybe. like listening to the full two hours of this. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Oh. But hey, uh, there you go. Thank you so much. Next week, we will be doing Winnie the Pooh characters for mm-hmm. T-Quartet. So we'll be doing uh, Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, Tigger, and Piglet as our four yeah, characters. Yeah, maybe we'll slot in like Rabbit and Rude there too. I watched and read a lot of Winnie the Pooh there. I feel like I know the characters pretty well and they're pretty... They, it, it, that's a good quartet to do for like... I, I think it's easier with these like other fictional yeah. um, quartets. So, that's, yeah, so that's the plan for next week. Thank you so much for listening uh as always you can find me at jk redmond where can they find you zach 
You can find me on Twitter at ZachMohammed32, and I will also be on Rob and Akiva Need a Podcast this next week on Saturday talking about the 1990s Shaq movie Kazam. We're going to be digging into that. I'll have a little bit of Shaq trivia there too. Dust off my like rusty Shaq impression. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun with Rob and Akiva later on in the week. Yeah, so definitely check out Renap uh, and check in next Wednesday for more Ang and their coverage. Until next time, see ya. Peace out, guys. Bye.